All right. Welcome to the Meet Your Species podcast. My name is Heath, and today we have a special masked COVID safety edition <laughs> with Alex. Alex, welcome. Oh, thank you. I appreciate uh, the opportunity. Yes, it's going to be fun. Um, so I hope the audio is good, but uh, forgive us if not. Uh, I think it should be fine. I can hear you just fine. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, Alex, we met because of uh, Shrav. Uh, I feel like most of these are ending up being like because of Shrav lately. <laughs> she's, she's an interesting character, she's for be- sure. <laughs> she's becoming my like promotional person. She's going and getting all the guests. I love it. That's right. Um, anyway, so um, it's exciting because... Um, from the bit she shared in uh, the video you made on YouTube, it sounds like you have a really interesting story. So I'm really looking forward to just kind of getting to know you a little better. Awesome. Uh, yeah, with the uh, with the video, um, <laughs> I was shocked actually that she watched it because like nobody watched it. Oh, you shouldn't be shocked. She's, she, <laughs> I made YouTube videos from like way back and she like stalked me, watched them all before we were dating. And I was like, hey, look at this. And like showing everyone my goofy videos from like 2012. Shrove, how She's, could you? I'm not stalking with her. It was my friend. Okay. <laughs> well, you know what? These days, I'm not surprised by those kinds of behaviors because, like, every new person I've ever met from a dating standpoint, they do look you up. They're, they're going to toss your stuff into Google. They're going to toss your stuff into whatever they can. They're going to find whatever they can on you. You know, and it's not... Because you don't want to go in blind. Right, 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 right. <laughs> what if he collects toenails? Yeah. <laughs> I really hope not. I really hope not. That would be super weird to mention when we get married. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, oh, now that you're moving way. in... <laughs> <laughs> uh, um anyway on uh, this podcast in order for people to like get to know you better it's really nice to have some context okay. so I, I like to say it's like when you watch a movie and you learn the backstory on somebody sure and then you're like oh i love this person now. yes <laughs> <laughs> um so if you don't mind let's kind of dive in a little bit and get to know like first where'd you come from that's always been a loaded question for me, okay. only because of the way that I look at the question. And okay. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because, uh, so I grew up in Florida. Okay. And in Florida, you know, I, I picked this up very early, is that the the intention of people typically asking that question is they can find out how they should treat you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So we don't want to give Florida man as the... Right, 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 right. I got you. But it's not just the Florida man thing. It's a very... uh, uh, And I'm sure Shrav has come across this. You know, um, there are individuals that have a particular idea of certain, uh, um, you know, uh, stereotypes that come with particular regional aspects of things. So uh, in Florida, if you're Puerto Rican or you're Cuban, you know, those people don't mix for whatever reason. I don't know what the reasons are. I don't know what the Civil War was. But for whatever reason, they just don't like each other. Is it a Civil War if it's two countries? You know what? It's it's hard to know. You know, (laughs) it's hard to know. I just I just figured that, like, if you are Hispanic of any nature, then you should be you know, rooting for anybody who's Hispanic in nature, you know, like, especially in a country like the United States, where it feels like everything, everything is sectioned off in that particular way. Mm -hmm. So where am I from? Well, I was born in Philadelphia. Okay. On a playground is where I spend most of my days. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, uh, I was born in Philadelphia. 
uh, I moved when I, uh, my mom, when she got divorced, moved us to Florida, um, partially because of my grandmother. Uh, my grandmother has asthma and being in Philadelphia with the cold winters and stuff like that is very difficult. So moved us down to Florida. You had a weather upgrade. That's nice. Weather upgrade. The only upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, and was raised there basically most of my life. Um, the only reason I'm in Georgia is because of my business. But mm. um, outside of that, uh, I, I would I would be hard pressed not to say that I'm Floridian. Mm. Um, as far as my family and going a little deeper into that, they're Puerto Rican. Okay. So um, a lot of that culture, you know, uh, got you know, peppered through throughout my life, lots of, you know, delicious fried foods, <laughs> lots yeah. of rice, lots of beans, um, lots of, um, I, I, I would, I, I'd be hard pressed to say that they weren't musical because there was always music around the house. There was always, you know, um, uh, lots of emphasis towards, you know, uh, the musicality of things. Um, my, my dad, uh, is is a, a musician he's he was a musician his entire life and my mom used to you know be in the choir so there was always music around that sounds great um and uh yeah i i would say that that's where the the puerto rican aspect of things really started to to you know uh hit hit, hit my consciousness i would say hmm. what um for like what instruments did your dad play Sorry, I was gonna phone check. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> um, he, from what I could tell, he was mostly a singer, hmm. um, but I think he played guitar as well. Interesting. And uh, it, this is new information for me because I actually didn't have much of a relationship with my dad until very recently. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, and some of that goes it, it, it further and deeper. Um, a part of that has to do with. Uh, some of the interactions that I had had in the past with him. So having conversations with him lately, you know, what you find from a musician, somebody who's very proud of that, they all they want to do is talk about, you know, Music. The, the, the heyday. Oh, the good old days. <laughs> when they actually used to tour, when they actually used to, you know, uh, play music and stuff like that. And uh, he, he talked about that very, very positively. Um, and my mom said that some of the reason why she even got together with him was because of that. Mm. Um, he was, he was very, very musical. And I think that also reminded her of her father, um, her father, uh, <laughs> his nickname in Puerto Rico was La Melodia which translated <laughs> the is the melody. <laughs> they would actually call him from afar. They'd be like, Melodia! <laughs> like that kind of thing. I used to, uh, there was such a mythology about my grandfather and the way that he kind of like moved through life. Mm. And I used to tell this story. I totally made it up, but like, <laughs> I used to tell this story where like, oh yeah, like people would call La Melodia and then he would fly in on a chariot that was pulled by two pink flamingos. <laughs> And then he would come and help you out with whatever you needed and then disappear, but then show up and need a place to stay. Mm. And you had to help him because <laughs> he already helped you out. <laughs> Some of that is true. 
the chariot and the pink flamingo is not. Not so much. <laughs> well, I guess if you're in the right part of the country, maybe he could bring those little lawn flamingos. Yes. <laughs> Which, you know, like, I, I always thought if there was ever a time that I would put that to some kind of um, video format, it would be something cheesy like that. It would be the very plastic, you know, like, green screens, you know, like, <laughs> moving... <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. You know, one of so uh, when I met Shrub, she was already taking photos, and mm. she had I don't remember where that was that you took those pictures of the flamingos, but they were like the the pink part comes from the bacteria, right? Yes. So they were not really pink; they were mostly gray. Yeah, it's because of the food that they eat. Yeah. yeah. But where was that? Mumbai. Mumbai, somewhere in Mumbai, and it was such a cool photo. Like it's just this thin water area, and they're just there, just yeah, mm, they're just gray hanging flamingos. out. Yeah. Blue mind. They sleep on one leg. Yes. That's it's like, such a weird thing. Just can't be bothered to put two legs. No. <laughs> they must do yoga. <laughs> well, you know, being uh, a, a larger person most of my life, it kind of makes sense to me because I was, I always felt like I was constantly um, shifting my weight just so that I would be comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure that that's their strongest leg. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, how much of the um, Puerto Rican culture was part of your life growing up? Well, it, it was it was very powerful early on in my life, and then it very much started to dissipate because it's super weird like i got mixed signals from my mom in particular she didn't want me to be pigeonholed as being hispanic mm. within the united states based on her experiences gotcha. and i and she has a very thick accent you know and i think the the biggest thing that she wanted me to do was just be under the radar so that i gave me more opportunities right sure and, you know, what I find lately in life is that I want to be prouder, you know, and, and a little bit more open about that culture because, you know, the things that we let just slip under the radar and sweep under the rug and stuff like that, that stuff is very powerful. It, it's, it's very, um, it's ingrained and um, you don't realize it until it starts to go away. You know, like I started realizing that my Spanish was getting worse and I started realizing that I didn't, I, I, I started having more of a connection to the, the island when I went to visit it as an adult and, you know, remembered how great the food was because <laughs> you can't eat that food the rest of your life. <laughs> but <laughs> but it reintroducing it into your life you're just like wow all of the memories all of the experiences mm. you know i think food is a big part of that culture for sure and um music is a huge part of the culture and you know because of the island aspect of things like they just have a different way of looking at life i i think they are much more relaxed mm. i think they're a lot more laissez-faire and um almost nihilistic to the point of like just giving everybody the benefit of the doubt and um just accepting everybody for as being good people without having all of that pressure that gets created by others you know 
giving doubt to experiences and fear and stuff like that. Like I, I, I didn't feel any of that there. Hmm. And um, I, I felt similarly when I went to Canada, you know, <laughs> everybody's so polite. Nobody has like, it, it seems like they have very little um, negative, you know, connotations to experiences and they try not to impose, you know, past experiences in a negative light. And that, that's what I felt, you know, uh, with, with Puerto Ricans generally. Hmm. Um, but then again, I, I could also see the difference too, where, um, being in the United States for a really long time, I think they wanted to be more like Americans. Um, I say Americans, Puerto Ricans are Americans. <laughs> yeah. I needed to correct that very quick, quickly, but you know, that's, they, they just don't get representation because we're awesome, right? Yeah. That's, <laughs> I mean, why would you give them representation? Because, like, that would only benefit them. That's, that's crazy, Fox. <laughs> Who does that? Fools. So it, it, it was, it's super weird, you know, like, growing up in that place where, you know, you're, you, it, it's who you are as a kid, but then, you know, you're, you're pushed further and further away from it just because of the societal nature of things. Mm. And, you know, I, I learned it super early on in school, too, where it, seemed like um i needed to i needed to be more like other people rather than what i was bringing to the table and that that was something that i realized very early on some of which because of what my mom was trying to you know instill upon me but also because of the experiences that i had when i was super young i was much more you know olive skinned olive colored and you know very curly hair you know so i definitely looked the odd man out amongst you know um caucasian you know individuals mm. <laughs> and um i'd imagine especially up north oh absolutely when i lived in ohio it was like <laughs> one hispanic person and two black people and that's it but florida is even more segregated it seems than you would expect you know uh there, there's definitely a lot of hispanic people um there's definitely lots of you know african americans and, and and the like as well but you know primarily it's still caucasians you know that that uh that take up uh most of the territory just because um they could afford to live down there <laughs> it's super expensive to live in florida and people don't realize that yeah. um so anyway uh i i would definitely say that you know initially yes but then gradually as i grew up and stuff like that all of that started to really get degraded especially when my family started getting into politics and things like that and focusing on that kind of thing mm. that's interesting you bring that up because I, i've noticed only in the last probably since 2008 mm -hmm. did slowly politics become more and more part of the common things people talk about it now i feel like it's too much like people just can't talk to each other yeah it's part of the reason i wanted to start this podcast right right um so what did you notice as that started becoming more and more uh a part of the just life i think um what i really started to notice was there was this sense that there was a better way to be and a better way to act and there were certain things that you needed to attach to in order to quote unquote have a good life mm. and um like what uh, religion um 
conservative ideals, you know, this idea of government staying out of things. Um, and I guess a lot of that, I wasn't really privy to it super young, but I was privy to it with, uh, so my mom was arguably the matriarch of the family, but my aunt was really the one that started to impose particular ideas of how we should move politically. Hmm. And she was the one that, you know, was the first one to graduate college. And she was the one that, you know, worked within, uh, she worked with a great organization called Women's, Women in Distress. You mean your aunt? Or your, uh, your aunt? My aunt. <laughs> and uh, she, so I think she, I, I want to say that she definitely idolized people like a Hillary Clinton, things like that, initially. Mm -hmm. But then also her husband or my, my uncle, uh, he had a business. And I think when you're in a, Florida is so conservative and because of the way that they tax things and because of the way that they treat certain individuals with certain affiliations, it kind of forces people to go a particular direction. Um, and I think that's what ended up happening, you know, mm. and because of that, they surrounded themselves more with more conservatives and by surrounding yourself with more conservatives, then you watch more conservative media. And then, you know, it just starts to snowball in a particular direction. Something I did notice super early in my life, specifically when it came to religion and politics was that they felt like they were changing and I felt like I was staying the same. Hmm. And, you know, it starts to mess with your idea of who a person is, right? Am I the person that I was? Are they the person that they were? Or are they the people that they're becoming? And, you know, as a kid, with, <laughs> the answer was always given to you that you need to stop worrying about things outside of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing because I don't think religion is a bad thing necessarily on its own. But I think none of these things can be separated from the potential consequences that could be created if you only believe in one thing and you neglect reality. Mm. And I think that's a lot of the kind of thing that I was privy to and it gave me a lot of cynicism and a lot of contempt towards religion and politics early on in my life. Um, and, you know, I, I don't necessarily, uh, I, I don't have negative beliefs about religion. I don't even have negative beliefs, uh, beliefs about the politics of the current situation. I, I just think that people need to be more aware of what, can potentially manipulate them into being something that is less who they are. Mm. And, you know, it, it, it was definitely my first foray into this idea that something could change you and you may not realize it. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Um, about how old were you when all this started and happened? I was like really young, like seven, eight years old. 
okay. when I really started becoming a, a bit cynical about things. And mostly it had to do with experiences that I had in church. Hmm. And my church was a Baptist church. It wasn't Southern Baptist. It was like a Hispanic Baptist church, which is a little bit uh, less aggressive than, you know, normal Christian churches, Catholic churches and things of that nature. And um, <laughs> I remember specifically uh, when I started getting negative feelings, um, it was a couple of instances. It was three instances specifically. The first one was, uh, my mom was in choir and I was sitting with my, uh, my friends, uh, in the back room. We would always hang out and play Power Rangers. And, you know, <laughs> I, <laughs> I remember we'd Which Ranger be, were you? Uh, so I was a big Red Ranger fan. Okay. Um, specifically because I didn't like the idea of Tommy the Green Ranger <laughs> coming in and starting to like creep on my girl, the Pink Ranger. That was oh, not cool. He. That was not cool. And like, what? He thinks that he could just come into the school and like, like just flex his karate because like, he's got like a dragon or whatever? yeah, because like... he's got a dragon or whatever. Like, I don't care. And I... <laughs> um. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> uh, so we used to play Power Rangers a lot and that kind of thing. And I remember one of one of these um, instances where one of the guys uh, started telling jokes, and they were dirty jokes. And that was like my real first experience with like dealing with that kind of thing. I'm a super reserved person, and I don't. I'm not saying that I'm not a leader. I'm only saying that at the time, for sure, I was like, oh, if this is allowed, then I'll go ahead and do it. You know, like that's, you know, it's the barrier mm -hmm. for entry, right? So I told a joke that I had heard, but I'd never repeated because, you know, again, you just don't repeat bad things like that, especially in church. But I did it. Come to find out the following week, uh, I get pulled aside. Uh, his mother and people from the church and stuff like that all sit us down and they say that I told a joke that gave them nightmares. What? What, what was the joke? I don't even remember the joke. I, I, I'd be lying if I said I could remember the joke, but it may have been graphic. I don't remember. I was a stupid kid <laughs> and there were stupid jokes. Like you can imagine the kind of jokes that we would be telling, right? Mm -hmm. But it gave him nightmares. And I remember in that moment, I was like, but what about his joke? But I didn't say anything. Uh, I took the whole brunt of that entire situation. And I remember feeling like, that's not fair. It's not cool. That was the first instance. Second instance was when I um, accepted... Jesus as my Lord and Savior and all that. I remember feeling weird about that entire situation. Mostly because of the way that it plays out. You go to Sunday school, you go into a class with a bunch of people and stuff like that. But eventually, at one point, they start getting to the point where they start pressuring you to do this. Like, you know... Do you repent? Do you, you know, like, will, will you, will you give, give into it? So I did in this group setting, but then they said, we want you to go to the front of the church 
and say that that's what you did. And I remember in that moment thinking, like, why should that matter? If this is a conversation between me and Jesus, then you shouldn't need to force a person to go up in the front. You're not asking whether or not they might be nervous. Maybe they just don't like being in front of big crowds at the time. Mm. I just didn't want to do it. And I remember uh, telling mom, because we were all sitting uh, in, in the church and a couple of the kids went up to the front. And I was like, mom, I did too, but I don't know. Like, it's just between me and God, right? And she's like, yeah, of course. Like, you don't have to go up there. I was like, all right. <laughs> not doing it. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. So I just didn't. But I do remember how forceful they were about doing it and then how disappointed they were that I didn't. Mm. It started to like, it almost seemed as if they were trying to find a pattern of me not being Christian enough. Or like a, like a test. As a kid. Yeah. And I was like, I barely understand this stuff. So that was the second instance. The third instance was the camel that broke the, or the, I'm sorry, the straw that broke the camel's back. My mom had found out that the pastor of the church had been sleeping with the secretary. <laughs> oh. And as you do. As you do when you're married. And there was a hesitation about the congregation and, you know, him still being the pastor. And I remember specifically one day, you know, there was so much of this anxiety going around that she just is like, do you guys want to just stop going to the church? And we said, yes. We just didn't want to go anymore because it didn't feel like our community anymore. It felt like this whole new thing that was created by this negative situation. And, you know, at, at the time, I... I, I use it in as, as an excuse, but really it was disappointing. You know, like we'd known that pastor for at that point, maybe four or five years. And, um, you know, your understanding of your religion at the time is so ingrained in this idea that nobody's perfect. Yes, but you just don't go that far specifically when you're in that kind of a position and when when those kind of pieces started to fall it started to really tear down this idea of they clearly aren't living up to what they're preaching so because of that i i became really jaded from it it wasn't that i didn't attend church you know ever again cuz i definitely did but I definitely started to see the duplicitous nature of humans within the church. Sure. And um, that's a hard thing to kind of square. And again, I don't think that religion is bad, specifically Christianity. I don't necessarily think it's bad. But I do think that there's a lot of, there's enough bad faith actors within that religion in particular within the United States that I can understand anybody just being like, you know what, I don't need it. Hmm. Fair enough. Um, so, if you had to describe within your childhood 
some of the moments, I, I imagine this is one of them, mm -hmm. uh, that really helped shape the way you think about the world or, or maybe people that really had an impact on you? What would be the things that you would point to? Oh, that's a long, long one. There's a lot of things that I think. <laughs> you got plenty of space on the computer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of individuals and a lot of experiences that I kind of attribute to who I am right now. But I mean, the one that really stands out is um, is in high school. And it's where I met my best friend in the entire world. I still talk to him to, to this day, Ray. You have a best friend, Ray? Yes. I have a best friend, Ray. Yeah. Go Rays. <laughs> Go Rays. <laughs> um, there's a lot of connecting tissue there. And uh, so the way that I met Ray was I remember as a teenager, I was kind of done with things. You know, I was annoyed. I didn't like my school. I didn't like the situation that I was in. Um, and I was, I was very much felt like I was in that rebellion mode. But like saying all of that. I'm pretty much a wimp. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a very, I'm a very large boy. You know, um, uh, I, I try to, you know, uh, get into people's lives through humor, but doing so in school means that teachers don't, you know, you're, you're more of a distraction than anything. And, you know, again, I was just trying to, uh, have some semblance of happiness amidst this institution that I just didn't respect. Um, it wasn't that I was doing badly uh, in school from a grades perspective, but I definitely started to lose interest. Mm -hmm. So we're having the conversation about a language class and I go, ma, I'm not doing Spanish. <laughs> and she's like, what? Why wouldn't you do Spanish? And I'm like, I think I want to learn a different language. She's like, what, what language? And I was like, French. And she's like, why would you learn French? You can't even talk to anybody in French around here. And I was like, it's another language of love. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> so uh, I, I take French class. And in that French class, I meet an individual, uh, Angel at the time become best friends uh super close take another year of french the following year and that's when i meet ray and i meet ray through angel angel was one of these individuals who was i, I wish i was still in contact with honestly because she was the kind of person that would look at an individual and be like that person's by themselves not talking to anybody i'm gonna be the one to talk to them oh, that's cool and you know, I, I think a big reason why I was able to come out of some of the negativity was because of Angel. But keeping me out of the negativity was Ray. And he'll tell you that the way that he I got onto his radar was I had walked into the classroom after it, it had already started. I came into class late every day. <laughs> <laughs> And the reason I did that was because the first year that I had uh, the, the French class, I had done a PowerPoint presentation, and that got me a B in the class, despite the fact that I was doing very poorly in the class. 
And I asked her, I was like, why did you give me a B? And she's like, that PowerPoint presentation was the best I've ever seen. You keep on doing that, I'll guarantee you a B every year. That's a... That's an insane thing for a teacher to tell a student. That's also like a really good PowerPoint presentation. It was a great PowerPoint presentation. That's, had... that's not a compliment you get often. No. <laughs> like, I love your PowerPoint presentation so much. <laughs> Give it you a B. She's like, he had so many gifts and he had so many... <laughs> so much word art that was like transitioning and i was like <laughs> whatever <laughs> so that's the kind of attitude i had in this french class at this point so i would come in late every day you know didn't care and uh so i come in through the side door i would like crawl on the floor and then end up in my seat and she's like alex did you really think that i wouldn't see you where have you been this whole class and I'm like, what? I've been asleep this whole time. What are you talking about? And she's like, come on, Alex. I'm not stupid. And I was like, you know what's really upsetting to me, Mrs. Gardner? That you don't know where your students are half the time. <laughs> oh, calling out Miss Gardner. <laughs> and this is what impressed him. <laughs> and the reason I think it impressed him is because he came from Canada. Oh. You don't talk to people like that because you're polite. <laughs> he he found it ballsy. And uh, he saw a confidence in me that I didn't see in myself. And uh, we, we immediately clicked when we started having conversations. And he was into things that I didn't talk to, you know, a bunch of people about in a deeper way. Mm. um video games we connected on that uh we connected on anime uh a big reason why i got into anime was because of him and his brother and honestly if it wasn't for that relationship i wouldn't have a positive outlook on life oh. mostly because of what i had it what i really started to see was a difference in our education versus theirs is that they really do give everybody a much broader set of tools. You mean Canada? Yes, Canada. Versus what we do. What we do is we give a lot of choice, but we also try to do it on the cheapest dime that we can. And it creates a lot of resentment in the teachers, in the students, Nobody gets the attention that they need. And um, and some people do need very different attention. Me, I'm an attention hog. You know, like, if somebody had recognized that early on, then I'd be in a totally different place. You could have been an actor. I could have been. <laughs> um, but I definitely would have had a better direction. Mm. Instead, I just felt like, I, I just don't like the way the setup is. He started to point out that there's different ways that you can look at the world. And his dad started doing that too. And he did it in a very different way. And you could tell that he was influenced by his father and mostly because of the way that they presented ideas. Mm. They gave you something and they, they sold you on it in a way that you would enjoy before you went down a path that would be potentially considered boring. You know, like getting into anime, I, I, I remember 
not being too impressed with it because of the subtitle aspect of things. I don't like, I didn't like reading at the time. And then all of a sudden he'll tell you what you need to hear trailer wise through like a radio voice, you know, all of the reasons why you need to watch this particular anime. I'm like, Oh yeah, we gotta get into that. Well, like he has sold you on. Yeah. He sold you in a world. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And his dad was the same way. And I, and I remember this very vividly. Um, he would tell you a story, all the characters, all of the enthusiasm, all of the best parts, and be like, did you like that? He's And I'm like, yeah, I loved it. He's like, here's the book I got it from. Take it home. Oh. There's a sales pitch. Brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. My mom has never done that. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody in my family ever did that. And what was fascinating about the entire situation is my mom hated Ray. Really? Hated him. Why? Because she attributed him to me having agency. All of a sudden now, I started coming up with my own ideas. I started questioning the things that she started doing. Uh, Not because she was doing anything terrible, but because it was different than what he was doing. And as a teenager, when you're trying to juggle all of these ideas about how to do stuff... You start comparing and contrasting, especially a teenager in the United States, because you're supposed to find blame. <laughs> <laughs> Who do I blame for this? The French class. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, definitely Ray. Ray. Ray's a good one. Yeah. All right. Well, shout out to Ray. <laughs> <laughs> um. What about uh, maybe, was there anybody in your family that you really, some aspect that people might not know that you really admire about them? Hmm. Um, I admire a little bit about everybody in my family, especially lately. I was, I was thinking about that recently, uh, mostly because a lot of the, um, I think a lot of the negative attitude that I had towards my family was really just that you know, growing pains, you know, Mm. during a particular time in your life and everybody's life, you're just going to start seeing that what you're presented isn't necessarily the whole picture. Mm -hmm. And when you're a teenager, for whatever reason, you also think that you know everything. Obviously. (laughs) 16, I've got this. I got it. Move aside, everyone. See this license? License to be awesome. Once I had that that sweet driver's license in mom's hand-me-down van, Boom. I had it all hand figured out. Van? <laughs> hand-me-down van? Hand-me-down van. That's where it's at. Um, yeah, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of... Uh, you start to get too confident in what you know. And you start thinking that everybody's wrong about things. And I was listing through, you know, all of the things that I would... Uh, think are you know positive gifts that they gave me um my uncles who aren't you know the smartest people in the world (laughs) are very hard workers you know and i learned different ways of working from each uncle Uh, i used to go to their shops all the time they're both mechanics Mm -hmm. and uh in one shop uh, my uncle JD, I would learn the uh, the importance of customer service, 
because his was interesting. <laughs> okay. It was the kind of customer service that I wouldn't necessarily adopt. But I also understood uh, uh, from him the importance of integrity in work. So regardless of how you treat a person, they really only come for results. And he was good at that. He mm. was good at creating results regardless of the path that you needed to take in order to get those results. And sometimes it meant talking to him. <laughs> so I, you know, and a lot of the times it was interesting too, because I was so young, I would work there for the summers, you know, to get some, some uh, money so I could buy video games. What was the job he did? Oh, uh, most of the stuff was like, uh, sometimes I would actually be re rebuilding alternators and stuff like that. He would oh. give me a couple of parts and be like, this is how you do it. He would show me how to do it. And because I had small hands, I could actually do it. And he would test everything out afterward to make sure that it was good. And, you know, uh, I would do that. I would clean around the shop. You know, um, I, I had done oil changes. So you did um, a mechanic shop. I did mechanic stuff. Um, but I'd also deal with customers. Mm. And that's what I was good at and enjoyed and it softened a lot of what he would say and do when they're dealing all of a sudden with the child. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it was, it was a good experience and, and I definitely learned what to do and what not to do and how I would potentially, uh, you know, adjust that if I were to ever be in the same position that he was, which eventually I was. Um, my other uncle, uh, I learned the the need to always have the next big thing around the corner because he was the kind of person that had five or six different projects going on at the same time. They were all on his property, and you weren't exactly sure which one he should be working on, but they were all there. And just in case one of them hits, you know, and he'd make a decent amount of money on it, that's the one that, you know, was the winner. And he would just see himself as a winner you know, just through trying and throwing a bunch of darts at the dartboard. So I learned that. I also learned uh, the difference between um, doing a job and being fair and doing a job and potentially taking somebody to the cleaners. And he was more of that type of person. And I never really thought that I would experience that within my family, but I did. And it happened very specifically through a friend of mine, a friend of mine needed to get his car fixed. I recommended my uncle to fix it. And he like took him for like three or $400 more than he probably should have. Mm. And it was sad because he, the way that I found out was he was like, here's 50 bucks. And I was like, what's this for? He's like, oh, because Brian, you know, I got some work done on his car. And, you know, anytime you send me somebody, I'll give you 50 bucks. I was like, that isn't why I did it. I didn't do it so that you would take him to cleaners. You can keep the 50 bucks. So at that point, I learned from him, you know, that there's a certain amount that I'd be willing to take from a person that I thought was fair. Mm -hmm. And I definitely wouldn't want to recommend him in the future. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it was one of those lessons that I needed to see because 
I think up until that point, I had trusted everybody in my family. Mm. And then I started to realize that regardless of the labels that we start attaching to things, there's still good and evil. There's still things that could be construed as right and wrong, even amongst those labels. And I think too many people get caught up in the labels and they don't necessarily realize that those beliefs are taking them down a path that makes them impo- it makes it impossible for them to see what's actually going on mm. who's actually treating you right um so yeah i learned that from him um from the women of my family i learned that no matter what and most of the people in my family are women i've always especially lately i've considered my family a pack of lionesses that definitely control the ebbs and flow of the way the family works and we just have a couple of dumb lions (laughs) male (laughs) lions just doing the work of getting an antelope every once in a while And, and the lionesses are like yeah do it this way (laughs) i was very much raised by the women in my family you know um my my mom and my sister were the ones that i lived with and then my aunts and the reason that happened is because the women in our family were the ones that were educated you know and that's what fascinated me was conversation you know the things that they would teach me the things that i would learn from having conversations they were always so articulate specifically my aunt was there some reason that was the case that they were educated um they had to be you know with to go further back to origins um my mother was the first one to come to mainland united states to new york she was told by her cousin that she could come there at any point so she did she left all of her sisters several uh, four sisters behind and a brother and the reason she did this was because she needed to get them off the island Hmm. um our grandfather was abusive and a drunk and our grandmother was tired of having children which is ironic because she's the one that keeps on having So she moved to the mainland for the purpose of getting enough money so that she could pull them one by one to the mainland, which is what she did. Mm. She needed to work. She needed to get an education. She needed to save up money so that she could save the family. And she brought every single one of her siblings over. My mom is like, she's a saint and people don't give her enough credit. And I come come to find out later on in life too that like she does a lot of things on the side that like she doesn't brag about, but are wonderful things. Hmm. But that's the kind of person she is. Like what? Uh, I found this out later on. She used to work in a deli at the hospital, and uh, she fought for this kid whose name is Alex that huh. she worked with. She fought for this kid to keep his job. And she was like, let me work with him. I'll make sure that he's okay. And then she ends up working with him. And that kid still to this day will contact her and stuff like that with how much of an impact she made on him. And I was like, you mean to tell me that there's an Alex out there that got the mother that they needed? 
<laughs> and I said it in jest because obviously my mom, you know, is, is a wonderful mother. But there was like a softer side of her that I had never known about that I found out through that story of her in this Alex. Mm. So like little things this like that. Alex. <sighs> the other Alex. I'm going to get him. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like that's what she she's been a caretaker her entire life she will probably always be a caretaker to some degree and she i think she still believes that she is she texts me every morning at 5 30 in the morning i didn't ask her to nobody asked her she just does she just does and i, <laughs> I joke every once in a while if there happens to be somebody around i'm like oh is his mom letting me know that she's alive during covid <laughs> <laughs> They even make it sound it's like the movie The Croods. <laughs> so it's, you know, she's a very caring person. She really is. She just doesn't necessarily act that way all the time. And she's so funny. She's mm. so funny. From my mom, there, there's just too many lessons. You know, I, I learned work ethic. I learned that it doesn't matter what you do. You need to do it as if it's the last job you ever have. Um, you need to keep certain things close to the chest. Um, don't share, don't overshare certain aspects of yourself because again, people tend to bring a lot of assumptions and a lot of negative connotations to the things that you may potentially do. Mm. And, um, yeah, a lot of lessons from my mom. Interesting. She sounds like a very, um, very strong person. Like, she, she put on uh with me it was a very different experience because she most of the time was dealing with her sisters throughout her entire life so raising sisters raising girls is very different than raising a boy and i was hard-headed in her perspective <laughs> and she also thought that since there wasn't a male presence all the time that she needed to be both the female presence as well as the male presence so she would treat me differently than she treated my sister uh, and i'd be like is it, be is it because of what's between my legs like what's happening here <laughs> chromosomes <laughs> chromosomes and 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 that's what it was and and i my relationship with my mother i've always described as the Joker trying to make Batman laugh. <laughs> Why? I was the Joker, and she was Batman, and she didn't like anything I said. She never laughed at the things that I said. And this was, like, a recurring theme. And down to, like, my actual laughter, she just doesn't like it. The way you laugh? The way, the way that I laugh. And, like, when I found out that she didn't like the laugh, then I would become more exaggerated with the laugh. So it started to become... It would start, like... <laughs> and then it would get to... <laughs> like, really, like, obnoxious. Because she didn't like it. Like, her expression was, like, actually getting worse as it got higher in decibel. And <laughs> Poor mother. <laughs> Poor mother. And she was like, ¿Por qué tú haces eso como el diablo? Which translated is, why do you do that like the devil? <laughs> <laughs> so she used to do that all the time. And, you know, that would just make me laugh even harder because she had these little phrases and things that she would 
toss out where you're just like where did that even come from like the other day she had me and my sister cracking up because she was like alexa off the coffee (laughs) (laughs) off the coffee coffee. and what's brilliant about that is that you know she's she's speaking in english but she's using the way that you would say that in 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 spanish right because technically in spanish it would be like um apaga el el café Mm -hmm. which means off the coffee (laughs) so she just you know that kind of thing you know comes out every once in a while and uh, i don't blame her at all english makes no sense it makes no sense whatsoever but again as a teenager i would constantly be correcting her i remember one time i corrected her (laughs) she was like Hi, Alex. You know I don't like watching movies with vampires in them. And I was like, vampires? <laughs> what are you talking about? You mean vampires? And she's like, Alex, do you know who taught you how to speak English? And I was like, Sesame Street. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I, I always had that kind of, like, back and forth with her throughout my entire life. And I and I always used to tell these stories to my friends all the time, to the point. Where <laughs> I remember one time uh, my friend Julia, I had uh, my mom said that she wanted to go watch a movie, and I was like, "Can my friend Julia come?" And she's like, "Yeah, sure." So I go to Julia and I was like, "Julia, I've got great news. We're going to the movies." And she's like, "Really?" And I was like, "Yeah." And my mom is going, and she's like. I'm taking everything off the calendar. (laughs) When are we going? Like, she was super excited because she's heard the stories. We go to the movie theater, and my mom is sitting to my left. Julia's to my right. My mom, she pulls me aside. She's like, I snuck some candies into the theater. (laughs) Naughty, naughty. Awesome. So then I turn to Julia, (laughs) and I tell her, Julia, guess what? Mom snuck snacks in the theater. She's like, great. And then all of a sudden I get jerked over to the left by my mother. And she's like, don't tell people my business. <laughs> don't tell me your business? What? What? It, what? <laughs> You're talking about candy in a movie theater. This is hardly high stakes. <laughs> but for whatever reason, she like feels like she has to have this like hard posture. Mm. At times when it really doesn't have any place and it just comes off as funny. So I've always thought that any reason why I'm funny is because of my mom. Because it's a misplaced uh, hard posture. And that's funny. That's, that's, That's where humor can potentially come from, right? It's somebody doesn't necessarily reconcile the way that somebody approaches something. And because it's weird, we laugh out of nervousness. <laughs> Fair enough. So she's definitely uh, the person that I got my comedy from, I think. Copy that. Well, shout out again to mom. <laughs> um, what about your sister? What's your relationship like with her? So it used to be uh, amazing when we were kids, terrible when we were teenagers into you know, early adulthood, and then very recently, great, like, incredible. And some of that has to do with experiences that she had versus what I had. You know, uh, I hadn't realized when I was a teenager how much she was going through Hmm. because it was a very different experience. My experience was 
you know, a, a fear of certain entities within the schooling system that were potentially going to harm me physically, mostly because of, you know, my weight and... So like bullies or something? Bullies and stuff, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, I, I was raised soft. You know, it, my mom told me, you know, if you need to fight somebody, fight somebody, I'll totally be on your side. But I was like, I don't... I don't want to fight anybody. You mean like blood? Can I not? Like, <laughs> how about how about like not that? And I think because of that messaging, and because it, it it almost seemed as if she was like, just take care of it. I'm like, how? Like, what do you? I don't want to do that. So it put put me in this spot where I had to figure it out on my own, and that mm. made me very inward. Made me very. Uh, very introverted at that point and i resented you know her for it i think and it 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 was totally misplaced my sister on the other hand she was so desperate for attention so desperate to be popular and you, you know girls growing up you know with all of the imagery and stuff like that if you don't look a particular way if you don't act a particular way then you become you know a target so you're saying this about like people outside the home wanting attention okay. right she wanted attention from desperately just wanted to be popular wanted to be you know appreciated outside of the home and it created a lot of negative situations for her so because of that you know there was a certain part of me that was losing respect in her because of you know she was slipping in grades and stuff like that like and it was totally, it, none of that stuff mattered. I really should have been there for her. But I wasn't because I was dealing with my own stuff. And that that really created a separation. She had a very different life than me. You know, she did a lot of the dirtier things in life than I did early on. You know, like I, and I didn't start drinking till I was like 23. Hmm. You know, like she had already been drinking when she was like 14, 15 or something like that. And the only reason I say this stuff out loud is because she like through her church and everything, she, you know, test, test, she does testimony about this stuff all the time. And she owns, you know, the, the negative things that she's done, which is why I think, you know, religion isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just how you use it, what you use it for. And she uses it to give people lessons that they may not have learned growing up you know she uses it to have strength at times when you know it seems like the world is completely against her because that happened to her a lot some of the reasons we got back together you know she had a cancer diagnosis she she beat it she fought it she fought it beat it and um you know we reconciled a lot of the differences and most of those differences were basically caused by our unwillingness to just listen to the other person. Mm. And I think a lot of people come across those situations where they believe that they have it all figured out and this is how you need to fix things. And in reality, it's much more complicated than that. Yeah, almost always. <laughs> almost always. So it's much better these days. Um the the pandemic prior to the pandemic we were talking every day and then i think with the pandemic and stuff like that 
I think the real reason that I was always concerned about the pandemic wasn't so much about the virus. It was more about the isolation because I know what isolation does to people. You just talk to yourself, you know, (laughs) and when you talk to yourself, you know, anything that was extreme tends to be the loudest voice. Mm. And for me, it's always been eating and, you know, uh, fixing my emotions by creating happiness, which was eating. So I always, uh, I kind of got through things, you know, that way throughout my life. And, uh, the, the, the interesting thing is that going through life as a larger person, I came across the individuals that looked at you and treated you differently in a negative sense, but then I came across individuals that never brought it up. And those were my greatest friends. But the interesting part is that if it, if I had more bullies throughout my life, I probably would have been more cognizant of the fact that I was actually killing myself. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like I surrounded myself with people that only told me the things that I wanted to hear. Mm. So there's a double-edged sword. And I think from a society standpoint, from a societal standpoint, I understand this idea that we need to be accepting of everybody in all shapes and sizes. I agree with that 100%. But I also think that there is a certain aspect of physicality that needs to be taken into account with regards to people's health. Mm. It's hard to ignore. And, you know, I say that being on both sides of the coin and being on both sides of the coin, I'm not like, a chiseled dude. <laughs> I'm basically a marshmallow under this. Okay, guys, <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> but <laughs> but the the reality is is that I find beauty in all shapes and sizes, all creeds, all colors, religions. You know any of that stuff, right? But we need to be realistic about things too. And when I was 400 pounds, probably plus, I I looked at a picture the other day and I was next to my best friend Ray in Canada and we were at a Banksy exhibit and I was standing in front of the thing holding a, you know, a fake balloon. And to see the contrast of size between one person and the next was shocking to me. I couldn't mm. even believe I was that big. And you know, it, it's easy for people to just get lost in uh, just trying to put a Band-Aid on things when really you need surgery. Hmm. And that's what I did with food for a really long time. So since uh, we kind of came into talking about weight, you brought this up quite a few times. So sure. Could you just, what has your experience been like? Is like I've never been overweight. Sure. So I've I really don't know. I, I don't think I can though, unless you go through it. Yeah. So uh, I lost weight uh, two times. The first time, and I've acknowledged this, I basically became a different person for a couple of reasons. Mm. Number one. 
people treat you drastically different. Mm. You it, like, you just know when you're attractive and when you're not at that point. And that sudden reality shift for a person that is cognizant of reality shifts messes with you. It does. It, it became to the point where I hated people. Reason being is that I knew that they were looking at me for what I was physically before anything else, before uttering a word. Nobody knew who I was. Mm. And then all of a sudden I was getting treated a particular way by different people that had never noticed me. That's a messed up thing to, to, to all of a sudden realize. So that messed with me. It caused me to just balloon back the moment that I was on my own again. Because again, on my own, what happens is, is that any habit structure that you've created, it's the one that just takes over again. It's the easiest thing for your body to do. It's the easiest thing for your mind to do. Because again, it goes for comfort. It always goes for comfort, especially when it comes to things like food within our society. All of this stuff is meant to addict you to it. Yeah, with the sugar and the chemicals. And the sugar, else. the chemicals, all of this stuff is meant to keep you buying it. It's not meant to help you. It's not meant to nourish you. Mm. So the first time around, I basically became a crazy person. I started dating some people, you know, like all of those kinds of things. Like I, I had dated people prior as a larger person, but really it kicked into high gear once I lost weight the first time. And then I regained it all back, you know, partially. <sighs> what are the like span of times this takes? Like... So the first time I lost weight was uh, around, I guess it was like 2006, 2007, something like that. Mm. And I had lost about 150 pounds, give or take. That's a lot. It was, it was a lot. And then, um, and then around... 2010 i really started gaining it back and i got up to like 400 mm. and um in the most recent time i lost weight was so so i i was in bed um and all of a sudden i lost feeling on the left side of my body oh and i was like uh my girlfriend at the time was next to me and I go, Hey, I can't move the left side of my body. That's odd. And she's like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, let me show you what I mean. <laughs> and she's like, what did you try to do? And I had just like done this kind of thing. This is like, I, I go, I tried to caress your face longingly. <laughs> She's like, what does that mean? Like, what are you talking about? I was like, I can't move my left side. Could you feel it or you just couldn't move it? I, I couldn't. I, I could feel it, but I couldn't move it. Like mm. I was telling my body to move and I couldn't do it. And I tried to get up. I couldn't do it. I started freaking out. I was like, oh my God, am I like paralyzed on the left side of my body? So there's a lot of things that happen. First of all, I start freaking out. I start crying. I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to be able to walk again. You know, she's like, calm down, you know, like, 
let's just call an ambulance. I was like, no, no, don't call an ambulance. Just make it real. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And that's like, I don't know if it's just a dude thing, but it's definitely what I was coming across. I was like, no, we we can't diagnose this because so I prefer not knowing for three days. I don't go to a hospital. Three days. Three days. That's crazy. And at that point, I just gave into the situation because I couldn't walk my dog. Oh, well, I was so on the, the dog sec- saved you. Yeah. I was- <laughs> <laughs> literally. Literally. Like, I was on the second floor, and I couldn't get up and down the stairs. Forget the girlfriend. It's the Forget- dog. Yeah. <laughs> this is why we broke up. <laughs> this is why. She was, like, she's the most wonderful person I could do an entire podcast on that. But again, I told you the first time, you go crazy when you lose weight. Mm. Every time. It's, it's no joke. It's not something that people should fluctuate between. And we live in a place that accepts it. We live in a place that encourages it. We live in a place that poisons people and are allowed to. It, it's, it's a bad thing. Mm. And it's... I used to laugh all the time whenever somebody said, well, just jog every day. Just? Are you insane? Is this kind of like when people said, uh, just code? <laughs> just learn to code. Just learn to code. You know, like you were a trucker, you're 50, it's yeah. fine. <laughs> no, no. It, it, you're asking a person to completely be a different person mm. because... The way that you got to where you are was reinforced by a lifetime's worth of information that allowed you to make decisions. Hmm. If all of those decisions that I had made prior were making bad decisions about this particular subject, how do you just want me to turn it off? It's impossible. You can't do it. So Not overnight. What did it take then? Being paralyzed. Oh, the first time That's was a strong a- motivation. <laughs> the first time was an accident. It was depression that caused me to uh, eat very little. I was eating only the food that at the time I had just moved back to my mom's, and my mom was making me what I could eat, which I enjoyed. I, I enjoyed these soups that she used to make, and you know, in retrospect, what I had basically shifted to was like a like a paleo diet with a very high bone broth content so all of that stuff like started to really you know clean me out Hmm. and i did that for a long time while i was working two jobs so i was very physical and i was eating better but by accident Hmm. the second time was very conscious and (laughs) what it took was by that point I uh, I started adopting this idea of anger towards the system. You know, before we get to that, what happened? You're paralyzed. Oh yeah, yeah. Left us hanging. I didn't finish that. (laughs) So I was paralyzed. Uh, We finally go to the doctor. They were like just as shocked as you know my girlfriend was about the fact that i had uh showed up three days after it happened they were like this could have been a stroke it could have been way worse and they didn't know what it was Uh um 
so I ended up staying there for about a week and a half before they would give me any kind of answers. And what they suspected was I had an autoimmune disease MS. Oh, with multiple sclerosis? Yes, okay. that's correct. And basically what it means is that your body is so overworked from an immune system standpoint that it starts to actually attack your cells as well. Mm. And what they had found in my brain was eight lesions, um, but they couldn't exactly address when those lesions had occurred. So I could have had this for a very long time undiagnosed. So lesion means like a... A hole or like a, a hole, a scar. Thing? Basically, the my cells had created gaps in my brain, and they, <laughs> what they could see in the uh, that's not a fun sentence. Is it? No, it's not. And <laughs> what they the could brain. see was scar tissue, right? Like yeah. it basically scarred over from wounds that were mm. created. So when you get told something like that, you know, like you freak out. You're like, "Oh, what does that mean?" And they will. Doctors are useless. <laughs> I, I want to... <laughs> That's a statement. <laughs> Doctors are useless. And it's not their fault. You know, they, they come to this situation thinking they want to help people. They really do. But they're also bombarded by all of these things that stop them from actually giving the kind of advice that they'd like to give. Right? Because I'm sure that they would have told me exactly what I was telling myself during certain times. But they're held back. You know, there's liability in telling somebody that they're diagnosed a particular way and then giving them treatment for that and it not working. You know, like... Mm. The, 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 oh, because a, like insurance and lawsuits and whatever. Okay. Absolutely. Can they pay for it? You know, like... It, there's so much that gets tossed on the lap of a doctor with regards to whether or not he might get paid that it holds them back from saying what they really want to say. And giving them what they really need to give, right? Mm. So anyway, the the doctors wouldn't tell me, and they're like, "Listen, we're gonna put you in touch with an MS therapist, you know, or an MS doctor, so that he can, you know, finally he can know, be responsible for out. the consequences." Yes. <laughs> but in the meantime, you've got to go to rehab. Um, Did it come back? Yes, clearly. <laughs> no, no, I mean like at that time. No, no, so so they give you a high uh, amount of steroids. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> they give you a high amount of steroids, and basically that causes your body to go into repair mode. Oh, okay. okay. And, um, you know, in, in doing that, I started getting feeling again, and, you know, they were like, but you still need rehab. And, you know, I definitely needed it because, like, I was limping around. My arm wasn't perfect, you know all of that so i was there for probably about a month but during the process you know I, I was in the hospital and there was a lot of little things that started to really aggravate me and this is the energy that i needed in order to decide to lose weight every meal they brought me a dessert oh at the hospital at the hospital sweet and like i had already started in my mind thinking i need to lose weight like, the only way that I'm going to fix myself from a mobility standpoint is by getting to a weight that can move around. And I need to strengthen myself. So I started, you know, I'd, I'd done this research, you know, over the years, and I'd started putting it together, and it really started to culminate into this resolve, right? 
and the anger that I started to develop because of that, because they were bringing me desserts, like to the point where I asked to talk to the dietitian that had prescribed me this food. Who prescribed pudding? Yeah. <laughs> like, why? So then she comes around and I was like, so what's the deal with the desserts every time? And she's like, well, what do you mean? I was like, do you think I need one? And she's like, well, probably not. But we have guidelines, you know, 2000 calorie diet. And I was like, yeah, that's under the assumption that, that person's moving around. I'm laying down all the time. And she's like, well, and I was like, it's because you have contracts with food companies and you have to disperse this food, right? Mm. And she's like, well, I can't say that. And I was like, but that's what it is. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like you saying nothing confirms this. So it was little things like that where I was like, again, going back to that, you know, trainer that one day told me like, listen, this is what you need to do. I'm like, no, that's not the only thing I need to do. I need to fix my mind, Mm. you know, to be able to discern you know, what's right and what's wrong for my body, right? Like you guys were talking before, it's like you need to listen to your body. And that was definitely something that I wasn't doing for a very long time because what what you once you get that large, you become numb to all effects that food gives you. Right. You know, like in in retrospect, I'm thinking, man, like my bowel movements were ridiculous. Or like I was always getting headaches after eating this. Or like you know, like you start becoming in tune with what was actually going on yet we ignore because nobody thinks twice about a fat man eating that much pizza. Right. It's probably fine. It's probably fine. So go to rehab, start losing my mind because going to rehab when it, when you're talking about a comprehensive center, the way that they had recommended Rehab means like physical rehabilitation. Physical rehabilitation. But they wanted me to go to a comprehensive place where I was basically there 100% of the time. Mm. And it was their recommendation, but also ultimately my choice because I didn't want anybody else to have to take care of me, specifically my girlfriend. You know, like I, I didn't want her to have to lug me around on top of her doing her doc, uh, her PhD program and taking care of the dog and all of this stuff. And she was also overweight too. So it was, it was too much for anybody to take on. So I didn't want her to take the responsibility. So I was like, yeah, send me to the, I start immediately losing my mind because I'm in a place where I'm literally the youngest person there. And they're praising me for how quickly I'm getting better but i'm like i should be getting better because i'm younger than everyone here like what how is that even praise (laughs) cold star yeah (laughs) great for being younger than everyone else (laughs) but like literally the conversations i was having with people and they were very nice conversations were with senior citizens i was Mm. like is this my life already like i started doing the math and i was like 35 i was 35 at the time and in 15 years, I'm going to be 50. What? I'm already going to be bedridden? Mm. You know, like these are things that don't necessarily connect with everybody because the way that they present things, let us do as much as we possibly can. Because again, that's also what we get paid for mm. 
It's less about what you can do yourself. And I was adamant from the very first day to the very first week to the second week. I was like, I need to get out of here. And I kept on telling that to the doctors every single time. I was like, I'm not going to heal as quickly unless I'm on my own. Because otherwise, I'm just relying. I know that I can get from here to there. But you guys have me under watch. Because in the middle of the night, I got up to go to the bathroom myself. So then they would strap you down in the bed. They strapped you down? Yeah. For peeing? Yeah. And then not, not only that, they would put an alarm on the bed to make sure that you don't get up. But why? Again, because once they label you something, like potentially being a danger to yourself, that choice gets tossed out the window. Oh, so again, what were you supposed to do? Like ring a bell? I was supposed to con- contact somebody every single time, but by the time they came, I'd already pissed myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it, it, when you're large, you pee a lot more too. You know, like there's like more weight on the bladder. Yeah, more weight on the bladder and everything. And, you know, it, and there's certain natural, you know, behaviors that you're going to have in the middle of the night to, to go to the restroom, right? So. I was just like, I know I can get there. Like, what's the big deal? I don't want to bother anybody. So I got up a few times and then they put an alarm on the bed. But like, <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> but like, not only that, I couldn't sleep in the place because then they started, you know, being worried about the fact that I was so large that I would lose circulation in my legs. So uh, they would give me shots all the time to like thin my blood. Oh. So they do that. And then they put you on these uh, uh, floaties that push against your muscles uh. so that they circulate your 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 blood. And I couldn't turn. I toss and turn when I sleep. I couldn't do it because of the floaties. So you're just stuck. So I was just stuck, like laying there. <laughs> like it was ridiculous. Like some. Of, this is what I'm saying. Like the entire system is meant to accommodate the the biggest complainers that are only complaining because of the condition that they're in Mm. you know like senior citizens are complaining that you know about all of these things you know what makes them feel better real quick a dessert i'm mad pudding yeah yeah you know like i used to laugh all the time my mom used to laugh uh, about my grandma and she's asthmatic she loves going to the hospital because she treats it as if it's a hotel they come they bring you food they they treat you nice they'll, they'll come and have a conversation with you like they put on the tv for you oh, that this... is an interesting take on hospital right but that's what florida is it's not a place to live it's a place to die <laughs> okay <laughs> that's what it is and, you know it, when when donald trump this is completely off subject when donald trump was you know elected i was like great we've got a floridian everybody was saying he's, he was a new yorker i was like no we've got a floridian <laughs> that is a floridian because all he's thinking about is trying to get people to a place where they're comfortable with all of the shenanigans they're about to do and that's the kind of thing that Florida does. It makes people comfortable for the death that's imminent. So it's hospice? It's hospice. It's a hospice state. But what, what does that do? 
it also starts to bleed into the education system. It starts to bleed into everything else because you're not putting funding into things that are forward thinking, mm. only backwards thinking. So needless to say, I was over the whole hospital thing. I finally get to go home and I create a plan for myself. I was like, all right, I know what I have to do. I'm just curious. How long did that take to get out of there? Uh, it was about a month Okay. Uh, to convince them because actually I left early. They wanted me to stay there for two months. Mm. And obviously they do that for reasons. It's a guaranteed paycheck from the insurance company if you commit to a certain amount of time. So they'd come up with every reason that you can't leave. And I was like, look at how much better I'm doing. And they're like, yeah, you'll probably be fine, but... But you tried to like, pee twice, so... Yeah. They start, like, tr sowing seeds of doubt that doesn't seem to like their benefit. That doesn't seem in the interest of well-being, which it, is odd. In a society where we're supposed to be, you know completely self-reliant because that's what we that's what we're trying to set up here right mm -hmm. is that like everything is hands-off no regulations no nothing you're on your own yet there's these underlying facets of it that are so reliant on you being sick mm -hmm. you being unhealthy you being completely at their beck and call so i i use that as fuel i was like i'm not I used to say it every single time I went into the grocery store and I made it a point to have these kinds of affirmations in my head. Whenever I wanted something sweet, I'd be like, but that company's trying to kill me. That's I'd a motivation. Go to that extreme to the point where you realize sugar is poison. There's no reason for it other than enticing people to eating things that are actually better for you. <laughs> <laughs> you know like the medicine has sugar in it so that you'll take yeah. the medicine mary poppins we just watched saving mr banks and that was part of the song like a great sugar makes movie nothing but yeah great movie <laughs> <laughs> so you know you start to realize all of these things that are embedded within our culture and our food and our society are just meant to push people along without them knowing what's actually going on underneath the hood or with the assumption that this person's clearly working out they're they're, they're doing stuff on the side yeah they're they're a part-time triathlon yeah yeah none of that stuff happens especially for a person that's already that sick it's kind of like the dentist assuming most people floss. Yeah, it's, it's not. Yeah, twice a day. Yeah, ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I do it every time. I'm looking in here. You don't do it every time. <laughs> I think I did it last time. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the point, right? Like, people are given the carte blanche to live in whatever reality they want. Mm. And, I, and I think a lot of the people who control some of the mechanisms, they're okay with that. They can sleep at night because they're not the ones that have to deal with it. Hmm. They're not the one. They, they were so cloistered by, you know, whatever mechanisms uh, they've put into place in order to, to stay away from the horror of it. Right. Because they, a person who tells a fat person that all you need to do is this 
has clearly never been fat. Has mm. never understood that it's a mental game. You need to convince yourself to the utmost degree that if you don't do it, you will die. That was the thing that I used to use whenever I went to the gym. I feel better when I leave. That puts the condition that I have to go and I have to stay in order to leave. Mm. You know? Um, a, a young lady <laughs> at the gym, because like it was a very visible transformation for them. You know, I had gone there when I was like, I think I was like 300 pounds at that point. I had already lost through diet first, which by the way, that's that's the first thing. Everybody needs to focus on their diet first. Like before you do gym or something. Before you do gym or anything. Don't bother with any of that. Focus on the diet first. And then go to the gym once you've lost some weight. And... It's a mental game. Diet, then gym. Yes. And then uh, this young lady comes up to me. She's like, wow, I, I really want to lose five pounds. But I just can't stop drinking. And I was like, well, that's your problem right there. And she's like, well, what do you mean? I was like... I want to lose a hundred pounds because otherwise I'll die. That's a different conviction. <laughs> it's a very different thing. So you're never going to lose the weight until you realize that you've put a bud that you're unwilling to change. Mm. So, I mean, it, that's the kind of thing that people have to deal with all the time. And they don't realize that the words that they say, the things that they think, the things that they've been conditioned to think, you know, are actually the things that are stopping them from reaching any of their goals. Interesting. The, um, slightly related to the person who runs the ashram that we went to for our yoga teacher training. Yeah. His name is Sadhguru. Uh -huh. And, uh, one of the things he says a lot is that, He's like, all the time I'm giving people all this, like, whether it's information or whatever, whatever, and they're all like, oh, yes, that sounds so good, but that sounds good. But, but he's like, so the whole time I'm just trying to kick those butts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, seriously. People don't realize that they do that all the time. And they do it in so many different facets of their life. And what the but is, is you deciding that you don't want to learn more. You don't want to be a piece of clay that everybody should be. Mm. You know, like you need to move with the ebbs and flow of life so that you can realize that it's not static. It's constantly evolving. It's constantly changing. It's probably some of the biggest reasons why we've gotten into the situations that we have because we didn't realize how much of an impact the internet would be on how people think and what people do. Mm -hmm. And now we're talking about it in a sense of like, well, this is something that needs to be regulated or potentially needs to be uh, uh, minimized in people's lives. And I've adopted that to a certain degree. Do you know how much of a struggle and a frustration it was to come to this realization prior to the pandemic? And then the pandemic hits, and the only thing that you can rely on is the technology that you're trying to stay away from. 
just when I think I'm melting. To bring me back. Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly right. So it's like, I'm trying to curb these addictions, yet a moron in office makes it so that for several years we're going to be stuck just because of stupid nonsense about masks. Mm. Calling it a hoax. And and what did he say? Like injecting nonsense in, in, in your veins. Injecting bleach into, yeah. like disinfecting into your veins? Like, like what are you doing? <laughs> again. I don't have a problem with religion. I don't have a problem with systems that people believe in in order to be their best selves, if that's what they're trying to do. I'm not a fan of it being used against people so that they do things that they don't realize are actually evil. And that's what it seems happened. I, 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 I'm a third-party observer of a lot of this stuff. But that's what it seemed to happen. It used people's beliefs against them because everything that that man did seemed anti-Christian. Well, yeah. <laughs> Minus saving babies. Like, I... <laughs> if that's what you want to call it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it uh, it's just a frustrating thing. Yeah. But again, you know, we were put in a position where that's all we saw. We were surrounded by this thing that was bigger than us, that was controlling our lives. And, you know, again, that plays into the mental health aspect of things, which I think was a much bigger issue, a much mm. bigger issue than, than is probably being addressed even to this day. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, even just doing this podcast, I found quite a few people that I've been talking to or dealt with depression and suicidal thoughts and things that I, I wouldn't have never guessed. Yeah. And and those aren't the kinds of conversations that we're supposed to have with people according to the past. You know, brush like, it under the rug. Yeah. Brush it under the rug. I one of the things that frustrated me the the most of my ex's family is that they didn't believe in psychiatry at all. They didn't believe in conversing about people's feelings and things like that was necessary all you needed was to believe in god How'd that work? again <laughs> again like once once you get put into this position where you've already got the choice you're just neglecting to use it and you're creating this alternative that is different from what i've been taught then now all of a sudden it becomes an issue right and there's science behind having conversation to get things off your chest and to, you know, what people don't realize is that, you know, therapy and things of that nature, that's just having a friend, you know, somebody that is unwilling to just give you what you want to hear and is always giving you a counterpoint. That's what people need. They need to have counterpoints in their lives in order to know what's real and what's not. It's, it's healthy. It's like the foundation of critical thinking. Yes. And that's something that we're trying to degrade. Mm. You know, the idea that we're going to change the education system so that certain things aren't taught. Like that 1776, you know, was oh. it the 17, uh, 1776 project or whatever? I don't know. <sighs> 
but this has been going on for years because oh, for sure the school board is like texas right there's some area where they control all the books yes and i don't i just don't get it like it was it was in florida i i, I talk i talk negatively about florida but if it wasn't for my history teacher my history teacher his name was mr Majeri, mm. and he was one of the few teachers that i respected because what he taught was the alternative to the history books lessons. Like, he was the first person that told me that Columbus was a genocidal lunatic. You mean the truth? Yeah, the truth. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Columbus Day. And, and he, was, he was blatant about it. He was like, listen, this is what the textbook says. We're also going to read this book. And he would give you alternatives. He would tell you what was actually happening. He showed us a lot of movies. <laughs> but the reason he showed us a lot of movies is because a lot of those movies have a tendency to be more honest about what the history books were, were talking about. And he would give you, you know, the details of what was made up and what wasn't and stuff like that. And it was through him that I took a class that was truly remarkable. It was my first AP class. It was uh, called uh, the Warren Commission Report and the uh, Assassination of John F. Kennedy Jr. <laughs> that was the name of the class. Oh, a oh, class just about that. Yeah, just about that. And the reason that he thought that it was important for that kind of a class to exist within high school was that it, again, taught us how to write, you know, to the government in order to uh, take advantage of the Freedom of Information Act. We we got so much information from the Warren Commission report and stuff like that, and we were supposed to sift through it and, you know, be critical about the information that was provided to us. We saw tons of uh, information about the Zapruder film and all of those kinds of things. And, you know, we were meant to make decisions on our own based on what we thought was going on and whether or not that report actually reflected to what might have actually happened. Mm. And those were important things to learn because it gave us a healthy understanding that there will be people that are in power that will lie to you. It's possible. Not only possible, it's very likely. Very likely. You know, so because of that reality, we need to make individuals that can constantly reflect and constantly look at things and and potentially have a better understanding of whether or not they're being lied to. Mm. So if it wasn't for classes like that, you know, or or Ray, Ray, Ray was another, you know, proponent of that kind of thought process because he was always telling me how things went in Canada versus how things happen in the United States. And he was like, yeah, we don't do things like that. And I was like, why? He's like, because... Like, the first thing is, like, we have to care about people, right? <laughs> You'd think so. You'd think so. But, again, like, I'm totally for freedom. I'm totally for certain aspects of capitalism, for sure. Because I think that there's power in that. It definitely allows certain voices to come out that wouldn't necessarily have come out. But, again, that's still that's still hoping that those voices will land 
on individuals that have been dumbed down through such a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And those were the, those were a lot of th- conversations that I was having in high school with my friend from French class. And he wouldn't have started talking to me if I wasn't late to class. Like, it's such a weird origin for such a mature perspective. Mm. So, you know, it is, is, there's, there's a lot of things that I think we suffer, suffer for needlessly. And and it's all because of conditioning. It's all because of conditioning. You know, it's the food that we eat. It's the, the, the things that we watch. It's the stuff that we look up online. Everything is a channel as opposed to, you know, uh, an understanding of what reality actually is. You know, mm. the, the fact that people watch reality TV and think that they're actually being informed in some way. Mm. <laughs> there are people that think that. They think Snooky's like, that's yeah. the way yeah. everybody in Jersey is. Yeah. My, my, my sister started watching um, a lot of like murder mystery stuff and like, you know, serial killer stuff and all of these kinds of things. I was like, why are you watching that? And she's like, I don't know. Like, I find it fascinating. And I was like, yeah, but you're also going to be freaked out of your mind every single time you leave your house. Well, for me, the ones that kill me are like, the unsolved mysteries yes like why does it have to be an open-ended thing yes constantly on your feed yes and like uh the tiger king thing (laughs) i didn't watch it but everyone's told me so much about this thing you don't need to watch it you don't need to watch it and and, it sounds like a train wreck oh it's it's a disaster this is a disaster i was watching it and i was like i guarantee you these guys have some kind of connection to florida and they did. They have a connection to Florida. But, like, not only that, it also shows you that there are other parts of the United States that are meant to be dark spots so that people can do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a really sinister thing that I think the United States is going to have to come to grips with. And Like the fact that Atlanta is one of the hubs of sex trafficking and so on. <laughs> Or human trafficking, whatever it is. Yeah. Like, it's not something that gets addressed on a daily basis because we're talking about what Trump tweeted. Thank God we don't have that problem anymore. Right. And, but that's that was the reality, right? And, and to a certain degree, we're still under it until, like, there's some kind of reconciliation with regards to behavior. Like... It, it it frustrates me being in a world where everyone is held accountable except for those who just have enough money. Yeah. And that's a... That, or have the right skin color. Or, or have the right skin color. Chromosome or whatever. Chromosome. You know, like, there's so many things that separate those from actually having a fair day. Mm. Having a decent... What everybody, I think the assumption is that everybody is doing okay. Well, that's crazy. But that has to be the assumption, right? Because the decisions that get made are so disconnected from reality that they have to be able to sleep at night at the end, right? 
And <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what the sleeping pills are for, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Puts them to sleep. We've got contracts for I this. have no problem sleeping. You know why? Because I'm on a beach. And I'm in my mansion. And I've got this woman that I just paid for. <laughs> you know, like, there, there's so much that we don't realize is being decided for us by people who are completely disconnected from what is actually going on. Yeah. You know, there are people that do suffer. There are people that are struggling. There there are, are many things that are being taught that are not up to par to what you may have been taught. And, but yet we still treat everybody as if they have learned everything that we have. Why should you be treated well at a fast food restaurant if you went to Yale and they went to a community college? Why should that be a thing? Now, I'm not saying that that's not possible. I'm only saying that your assumption should be that you should always be treated like garbage because they had way worse of a situation than you did. They did. I hear those stories all the time. They should be treating you like garbage. Why? Because they're complaining about you constantly <laughs> behind the scenes. Mm. And the reason they're complaining about you constantly is because you treat them as if they're less. And the reason you treat them that you're, they're less is because you pay them less. And you justify paying them less because you say that that adult that is in that position, their decisions brought them to that situation hmm. which it's of course sh shifting accountability yeah what are they uh exporting or externalizing costs and this sort of thing yeah and and in that same breath you know they complain about how much they have to pay in taxes oh god Oop. Oh, Sorry. screenshot. That was face. <laughs> you know, just for people that couldn't see, uh, on the phones now, like, whenever Shrav calls me, this face comes up, right? Yes. So you just took a screenshot of his face. So just like... <laughs> I got a call from one of the greatest people in the world. <laughs> but I needed to, 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 to silence that. Yeah, it, it's, it's just a, a, a super... If you have any kind of idea of what actually happens within our society, you know, the, the government situation, the education system, the healthcare system, you know, our food systems, any of that stuff, and, and you've done any kind of research about any of that, you come to the realization that a lot of this stuff is, um, I, I became really cynical when I watched uh, a document, or it wasn't a doc, it was a biopic on HBO called Temple Grandin. Mm. what's it about it's about uh, a young uh lady who was autistic and you know she she had problems you know communicating with people but she had no problems empathizing with cows and the reason she was able to empathize with cows is because she could sense their pain when they were getting maneuvered to the slaughterhouse mm. and she started making connections with regards to the amount of money that they lose based on the amount of stress that the cows had. You know, if, if you lose a cow before it's slaughtered, then you actually have to get rid of it. It stops the flow of the cows based on the way that they get 
traverse through the the maze-like structures that they created. And she was able to come up with systems that were that would move the cows in a much more humane way, in a much more uh, conscious way, that that considered the cows' experience during that process. They're still getting slaughtered, though, right? They're still getting slaughtered, but at the very least, they're not suffering the entire time. To mm. suffer on the way to the imminent death was too much for her. But not only that, it saved these companies millions upon millions of dollars based on the structures that she created in order to placate both sides, right? And the reason I bring it up is that the greatest capital in any country, and this is something that people don't talk about, is the people. You need them to do what you want to further the goals of the country. Mm. You know, um, are you familiar with uh, someone on YouTube called CPG Gray? Yeah. Yes. Did you see his rules for rulers? Yes. Yes. That video. But this this made me think about it because yeah. his point is, um, or I guess whoever wrote the book, I think. Yeah. Um, how if your country gets its income from not the people, then you really don't care about the people at all, which is, you know, like if you have uh, oil or some natural resource that you're making money from. Yeah. So I guess that's the only exception. <laughs> And that's what I think is so disingenuous about a lot of the posturing that exists within our society is that we we claim to care about people, but then we have policies that completely counter that narrative entirely. Our prison systems. Yeah. Well, I take it a step further because when when I first started traveling, part of the reason was because I realized like if I'm in this country in the U.S., there's really not much I can do just existing, no matter how I live, where it's not somehow on the backs of someone else, yeah. somewhere else in the world that I'm not seeing. Yeah. And that really bothered me. Yeah. And so that's when, like, when I went to Peru and I saw where they're making clothing and the way they are and how there's so much poverty there. It's it, it just, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. It, the... The capitalist manifesto here in the United States, so much of the suffering tends to just roll down to those who you pay the least. And you don't realize how much they prop up your company. They, you don't realize how much they do for you to succeed or fail. And you're taught in this society for some reason to complain about them as if they're the ones that shouldn't be complaining. Oh, yeah. It makes no sense to me. It makes no sense that a person just wants to make more money because they need to pay their bills. And, you know, they're asking you for the money because that's what they spend most of their time working for. And you should be offended by that. And, you know, I say that, you know, having, you know, been a business owner and I, it was one of those things where the structure of things, I'll never say anything bad about the business. I was a franchisee for a company. I'll never say anything bad about them, but the structure 
of these kinds of businesses within the United States makes it so that you have to start by pulling as much as you can for as little as you possibly pay. Mm. That's the way that it's set up. And it continues to get worse and worse because we've conditioned everybody into thinking that what they need is cheaper things. They need quicker services. Mm. They need, you know, reliability and perfect execution every single time. These are ridiculous expectations to have across the board while paying a dollar for a burger. Yeah. Like, it makes no sense to have that kind of an expectation, yet it happens all the time and it continues to happen. So it frustrates. Fair enough. <laughs> this reminds me of my first job. I worked at a water park and I was, oh. I was a lifeguard. Uh-huh. I got paid minimum wage, which at the time was like six. 5675 whatever it was mm-hmm. to like pay attention and save people that's a preposterous thing to do yeah and so being a teenager i ate dipping dots on stand and didn't really care yeah but i obviously like someone was drowning i try and save them but yeah not try i did no one died but <laughs> still it's just it blew my mind that this is a thing you you ask a person whether or not these particular things should have increase in in the cost and they say no but then you show them well if it isn't increased then it's a four it's a 16 year old that's dealing with your food Mm -hmm. or it's you know like a 16 year old that's going to save you in case you drown you know what i'm saying like clearly the quality is going to to go in a direction and i'm not saying that young people can't do this stuff they definitely can but you're also instilling upon them that it is okay for somebody to eventually make so little yeah i just can't like even the someone who's a, a teenager or something like why shouldn't they be paid a fair wage why not if anything it will incentivize them to work harder well i mean leaving that aside like yeah I remember being in high school and there was a girl who I thought was really cool, but she didn't have any time because from her family situation, she had to live on her own at what, 17, 18. Yeah. So why should jobs that are available for her before she's had a chance to even go to college or something? Never mind the fact that a lot of people don't even go. Yeah. But why should she be paid such a small wage for that and spend all of her time doing that? And that's the thing that doesn't get discussed either. It's like, do you know how many people... I came across who were supporting the family that their 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 mother or father like maybe they got on a disability all of a sudden so now all of a sudden they're taking care of their brothers and sisters through their one part-time job after school mm-hmm. like at that point they're yeah capitalism is great they get to choose how many jobs they have and how much focus they have on school in the process like that's too many choices for somebody at that level to have to make. Yeah, I think your brain isn't even fully developed till you're like 25. Yeah. Like, why are we getting people trapped in debt and all this, this, all of this? No, but that's the point. The reason that that's happening is because they need you to be reliant on them. Mm-hmm. They need you to be reliant. Everything is shifting, right? From actually the government, you know, providing things to make it 
easier for everyone. And it's shifting into this idea that you need to be beholden to your job. It's shifting that power dynamic into that's why health insurance gets caught up in in private uh, corporations as opposed to, you know, through the healthcare system provided by the government. Right. It's now I have to make a choice whether or not I'm going to be able to make the amount of hours so that I can even qualify for the insurance so that I could take care of my family. Mm. And then they have to take on another job. So now they're working the correct amount of hours, but uh, they still don't have insurance. Right. And and you're asking people to pull even more from somebody that has a finite amount of energy, a finite amount of time, and potentially more issues created by a system that is trying to do so based on moral issues, but in reality is creating more hurdles for people to jump over Mm. so what would you like to see in terms of that Uh, it's hard to know (laughs) yeah i i just wish i just wish there was more balance you know because i think that there's a lot of really great ideas with a lot of systems that already exist the problem is is that we believe that we need to win We believe that our side is right. We believe that we have all the answers. You know, like all of these things force you into position where you're not allowed to accept alternatives in any capacity. And I'm not saying we have to go all the way to the left or all the way to the right. I'm saying at the very least, we need to be able to discuss what is actually going on I'll give you a perfect example, you know, like this idea of like gun violence and stuff like that not being um, uh, you uh, for a really long time. There was difficulty in actually providing research that connected gun violence to owning guns. <laughs> that was a thing. Yeah. And. And how are you supposed to address any problem if you can't research it if it's not allowed by your government Mm. or maybe it's allowed but there's a stink on it through the the biases of a particular industry Mm. or a particular state you know like again that doesn't allow for conversation if you're not even allowed to find out what's actually going on you can't tell me what's going on if you yourself haven't read about it. You yourself haven't watched something about it, you know, like, and I think too many people do have those kinds of opinions. And, you know, I myself am one of those people for sure, 100%. But that's why I talk all the time to a lot of people, because I know that I'm wrong about some of it. Yeah, you're just trying to find the answers. I'm trying to get closer to the answer. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what everybody needs to do. They need to try to get closer to answers. And I brought this up the first time we talked. The movie Arrival, Mm -hmm. which I recommend to everyone. It's a brilliant movie that highlights one thing that I think is missing in a lot of society, which is that we can do more together than we can apart. Period. End of story. And this is like, this is not even like a debatable issue. Right, it's just that's the way it is. That's just the way it is. If we got everybody on board 
with a common goal, it would work. We'll figure it out. We've done it multiple times and we've got plenty of use cases. We would have never gone to space. We would have never gone to the moon if it wasn't a concerted effort by the government to actually get it done, right? And you needed everybody on board for that. And everybody was. They were excited about it even. When was the last time we were excited about anything like that? <laughs> There's some people that are very excited about blood in the streets. Yeah. <laughs> It's 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 baffling to me. But the reason I bring up that movie is it, it, the way that it presents it is brilliant. It's an alien race that comes to the planet and nobody knows what they're there for. We just know that they're in 12 different spots. And we know that we're having a problem communicating with them. Sounds like a problem we're having here. <laughs> we're having a problem with communicating with each other. And it all climaxes with the need for everybody to share the information that they got from the aliens individually with each other. <laughs> what a crazy idea! It's like, a, you just need all the puzzle pieces. Yeah. It's almost as if we had done that during the pandemic. We would have gotten to a better position. Huh. Who would have thought? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So I watched that recently again um, because it, it resonated with me, this idea that all we need to do is talk to each other. All we need to do is really listen to each other. Hmm. Like it, it, Communication is not a one-way street. Everybody needs to walk away with something. And if you decide at the end of talking to somebody that none of what they said is relevant to you or matters then that's not respect. That's not communication. You're, you're doing nothing. And you might as well continue to talk to no one because you're doing no one any credit. Yeah. I find that it's kind of like the, the model that a lot of social media built where it's all about posting and not there's no actual conversation. Yeah, there's comments, but that's not a conversation usually. Yeah. That's just more posting. There's a great meme that I've been sharing around with, with, with people, and I, I love it. It's two dogs. Okay. And they're barking at each other like crazy through a fence. And then the fence opens up and they stop barking. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And then the fence closes and they start barking like they want to kill each other. <laughs> and that's what the internet did. It exposed that everybody is willing to say whatever they want as long as they're protected while doing it. Behind the keyboard. Behind the keyboard. Yeah. You know, it's, I was just watching, um, observing somebody walking their dog in the neighborhood I live. Mm -hmm. And it's a little, little tiny dog. Mm -hmm. You know how some little dogs have like a lot of big dog feelings on the inside. Yeah. So, I mean, you know if the dog got off, it would run around and just... If there's another dog or any animal or person who decided, like, this needs to stop, it would be stopped because it's a little, little tiny dog. Yeah. But because it's on the leash and it never has that experience, it never realizes this. So it, it feels like that in a lot of ways. Like, we're all kind of handcuffed and crippled and just kind of yelling at each other. Yeah, we're never really aware of what we're capable of. 
until we get unleashed into the realities of the world, right? Because that's why it's so important that people go through certain steps within their life at certain times. Like, I think it's super important that people go to college because that experience is very different than high school. And that's why, like, so many people who were affected negatively based on bullying and stuff like that in high school have a completely different experience in college because that's when you finally come across people that are so bombarded by their own stuff that they don't have time to like just deal with the world in that way where they're just criticizing everybody else. Mm -hmm. There's just no time, but also you start coming across adults for the first time. You know, they're people that, you know, again, they realize that you have to work with others. You have to deal with other creeds and, you know, cultures and things like that in order to be able to move everything forward. You get forced into more group projects. You get forced into these autonomous situations where you've got to figure it out. And maybe the only person that you have to, to work with is somebody that's different than you. That's why I think it's important that there, there's a couple of things that I think I used to look at in resumes all the time or used to ask all the time. I used to, I never hired somebody unless they had some kind of food service experience. Hmm. That's an insane thing to do based on what I did. I worked primarily in electronics. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason I needed that is because when you respect somebody's food, you can respect anything. You know, like there's a certain amount of uh, um, there's a certain amount of expectation that people have when they get fed allergies, mm-hmm. you know, particular diets, you know, like they, there's so much respect. And again, they want that respect at a discount. Of course. Right. So you realize very quickly that people are very irrational. It makes no sense based on what they pay for, but yet they still expect it. So a a certain amount of time, I think everybody should work in the food industry. I I really do think that it it, it changes people's minds with with what they're going to deal with out in the world, right? Mm -hmm. Because that only gets magnified. For sure. You know? Uh, Another thing that I think is super important is um, I think everybody needs to be forced in a customer service role, you know, which is very similar to the food service role, but yet customer service forces you to come out of your shell a lot more. Like learn how to talk to people. Yeah. Learn how to talk to people. You know, like you don't realize some of the behaviors and things like that, that you may have grown up with may have been okay, but they don't work in certain regions. They don't work with certain dialects. And I, I, I came across it all the time when I first moved up here where I might say something and they're like, you're not from around here. And I'm like, well, no. And they're like, okay. And immediately like questions about the quality of my work and all of those kinds of things start coming under scrutiny just because they're dealing with somebody that they're not used to. Mm. That's something that everybody needs to experience. Something new and uncertain. Something new. Yeah, absolutely. Because you need to know how you'll react to that, right? You need to know that it's not a big deal that somebody is from a different place and speaks differently. And that doesn't change who they might be as a person. Yet there's a lot of people that based on how they've been conditioned, they think that certain people need to be 
tiptoed around just because of the color of their skin, the way that they speak, you know, the way that they act, all those kinds of things. Mm. What for you would you say are the, the most important issues that you feel like are, aren't getting the attention they need? <sighs> it, uh, there's just so many. <laughs> well, let's, let's start, because like we were saying, like yeah. uh, if you're not experienced in something, then it's hard to have a proper opinion about it. So let's just go with things that you personally experienced. Yeah. I think from my personal experience and the biggest struggle that I have is that I don't think people realize how much treating your body in a negative way will impact your day-to-day because there is a direct correlation between what I eat and how I feel. There is. When I'm feeling amazing, I'm like going to the gym every day. I'm like eating all the right foods. I'm drinking all of the right stuff. I've got the right supplement program, you know, like all of those things, all of those things are lined up perfectly. And I'm feeling like I can take over the world and doubt starts really starting to settle in when I eat garbage. Hmm. For me, that's a really big thing. And I don't think people realize that in any food service job I've ever eaten, Uh, worked in there are people that order things that you're just like they don't realize that they're going to have a huge crash and they're going to have a crappy rest of their day just because of this one drink that they ordered Mm. this is when i worked at starbucks i work at starbucks too (laughs) all of the best people worked at starbucks i'll tell you that (laughs) interesting place yes it's such an interesting place but you know what's great about that place it is so accepting no matter who you are how you think how you dress what you wear it's so accepting and i love it because like you just like i told you about my friend angel it's the perfect place to find a person that's never been spoken to truly. Mm. It's the perfect place. And those are the places that you find the best ideas. It's untapped sources. Oh, yeah. If we already had the answers to everything, then we'd already be fine. <laughs> so why are we asking the same morons that give us the same answers to fix the same problems. Yeah. We need to ask different people, different minds, different experiences, create solutions. Mm. I guess that's my biggest problem. <laughs> ask more questions and new people. Yes. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, if you don't mind me asking, it's okay to say no. Yeah. What is the most... Uh, painful thing someone has ever told you? Oh. Most? I could tell you the thing that was, that resonated the most. Okay. And, you know, it, it, the reason it's the first thing that pops in my head is because of my, my, weight loss journey so i had just gotten out of 
rehab and I was forcing myself into, you know, going to the supermarket. So I go to the supermarket, I'm like limping and I'm, I'm still super overweight. I hadn't lost any. I, I was just trying to, to get used to things again. And I was exhausted. I was so tired. I was like, all right, that was a lot. So I'm putting the groceries back into my car. And a lady comes up, an older woman. And she, she says, oh, do you want me to take the cart up to the front for you? Because I was just going to leave the cart on the side. I was that tired. I was like, that would be wonderful. Thank you so much. And then she starts taking the cart away from me. And she says this. That was totally sidelined. Side, or, well, I was totally... It was an unexpected conversation. Yeah. She goes, you know, if you had walked the cart back to the front, you wouldn't be as big as you are. But she just offered. What? And it, I was like, okay. And I got in the vehicle and I left. I didn't say anything, but I really wanted to say something. And I thought about that for like days. Because like there's so much of that that exists. Where people think they know where you're coming from, but they don't. They don't know who you are. They don't know what steps you took to get where you are. And they don't know what steps you might take moving forward. Yet, I'm still grateful to her. Because it's not something my friends would have said. Hmm. There is a place for bullies. It exists. They're not necessarily the best people in the world. <laughs> <laughs> but I can honestly say that my best friends were the ones that were honest even when I didn't want to hear it. Mm. Yeah, there's something that I it took me a long time to get introduced to, which is this idea that a lot of people think that we just, everyone should just be nice. But actually, people aren't looking for you to be nice. They want to feel included. Yeah. And that's something that, like, I've seen different people that have been around when I was growing up that maybe they have a very like how you were saying with you and your mom there's that certain kind of relationship right yeah but it's not a question that she loves you like, no absolutely it's just not. there yeah so you can poke each other you can you know burn a little bit mm -hmm. but that same conversation if you'd had with her but she was someone else that you didn't feel included it'd be awful right yeah so just that difference and that's everything yeah and so, yeah, I, I see what you're saying, though. I try and really uh, look at everything these days as how can I use this for my growth? And so, like you're saying with this, like a bully, if it's used for growth, anything can be good for you. But everything if... can be communication about directions that you could take. Mm -hmm. You know, because regardless of whether or not it's presented articulately or politely, none of it comes from a lie, typically. 
it's usually something that you're showing very adamantly, you know, like she would have never said that if I wasn't limping and wasn't very large. And she thought that she was doing me a favor. And I turned it into a favor. But again, I told you the first thing you have to do. The mental game. Is fix the mind. And that's not something that everybody can do. Typically, somebody will be like, oh, hell no. Start taking off the earrings, you know, like. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine if anybody else had gotten that. Every single time I've told that story, they've reacted in a similar way where they're like, who is she to even say that to a person? My confusion is like, why did you offer to get the cart and then backhand it? Like, what is this? (laughs) I've got tons of stories like that, by the way. Like, I've come across some really interesting people. There there was one time I was working a drive-thru. And and this lady was like, man, I'm so impressed with how early you guys get up and you're still so peppy. And I was like, well, you know what I do every morning? She's like, what? I was like, I meditate in the morning. And she's like, you know what you need to do? You need to meditate to Jesus. <laughs> what? How's what? that a response? <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, you're right, ma'am. You know, bless you. And like, I, I just let her have it, right? Because like, that's what you do in customer service. Right. But in reality, like people do that all the time. They try to impose. Mm. They try to make the world closer to theirs. Rather than the reality is we need to work together in order to make it a much more accommodating world for humans. Mm. That's that's really what needs to happen. But the problem is, again, we've segmented people into particular clusters that we're allowed to dislike just because... They're in the cluster. Yeah. It's kind of nutty. But you take that cluster out entirely and you say, oh, but the child in that cluster is fine. (laughs) Until they're this age. Until they're this age. (laughs) 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 Until they've committed the atrocities that I created by calling them by the cluster. Like, it's like... It's it's just bananas. I don't know. It's bananas. There's, um... There's a guy on YouTube. Uh, his name is Bo, the fifth column. Yes. I you know love this that guy? guy? I love that guy. He's so great. He's he, he, What's nice about him, too, is that he's got that southern drawl. Oh, he's very so much. Yeah. He's very likable across the board. Big beard and everything. And like, But just everything that he says is so biting and so direct. Mm-hmm. And he's not trying to make friends. He's just trying to like be candid and honest about... What he believes is actually going on within the human psychology of these these events that occur, you know, these situations that people make decisions about. I I love the way that he looks at the world, hmm. and I wish more people would look at the world that way. For me, it struck me as like when I was growing up. There's this idea that kept getting pushed, like you should respect your elders. Yes, and I. I'm not for or against that, but I do feel like, okay, but they should be like worth respecting, right? Like it's a, it's a thing you earn because there's lots of other people that are 
old, but uh, like your maturity level is still a child. Yeah. And there's young people that are the opposite. And there's old people that do earn it. Yeah. And so I'd like to see more of that. But he feels like, to me, somebody who you don't have to agree with what he says, but at least you can be, you can have enough respect for him that he actually took the time to talk to people and form a well-rounded opinion on it. Mm -hmm. That much I can respect. And that's what I wish I, there was more of in um, the elders that were around me when I was growing up, because by the time I got to a certain age, part of it's just because you're a teenager and you just think you know everything. Right. Sure. But part of it was like, I'm sorry, you're trying to sell me on an idea that didn't work for you. Right. Why do I believe you? Right. <laughs> I don't. Right. And that's why I became arrogant. Yeah. <laughs> a teenager. It's hilarious to have conversations with my mom about who she was before she had kids. Hmm. Because I came to find out our entire life, she hated alcohol. Primarily because our grandfather drank. He drank himself to death. Mm. And um, he beat cancer twice, drank after every single time, and still kept on getting surgeries. It's like, dude, he kept on trucking. Like, he was crazy. <laughs> this is the... This is the melody? Flamingo grandfather. Yes, La Melodia. Melodia. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I remember during his funeral, like, um, me and my sister were like, super sad but then i turn to her and i go Como esta la melodia? and she starts dying laughing in the middle of this funeral <laughs> <laughs> and everybody's like huh wait what this and, is a funeral <laughs> be serious in the whole time i was thinking i was like i don't feel sad for him like i think he lived the life he wanted to live how many people are here he had just uh a couple of years prior to that he had moved to to florida and he already had so many friends within the little senior citizens community that he was in <laughs> and that's the kind of person he was he brought joy to people he helped people yes he was drunk half the time but he didn't hurt anybody mm. he didn't cause any harm outside of his family <laughs> He what's fascinating about my family is that similar to the point that you made before about elders, my family always pushed on to me that in the end, all you have is family. Hmm. And I always saw holes in the behavior similar to you where I was like, yeah, but they're not perfect. Like there's going to be times when I'm going to disagree with things that they do and things that they say. And I, I remember specifically one time that my uncle was trying to convince me to go to the army because I was very much, you know, couldn't figure out my life in high school. He didn't bother to ask. He just thought, well, the military will straighten the you out. The military will straighten you out, you know, like, and for some people it works. And I was like, I'm not going to do that, man. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like do you know what your problem is and he starts like looking around like this is where i know that people are grasping for straws right he starts looking around he's like oh this is the reason why he's such a piece of crap he's watching things about the devil and he picked up a dragon ball z dvd that I had. <laughs> <laughs> it's like kid's dude. got a tail yeah and i was like dude you don't even know what you're talking about 
like clearly you don't understand what that is to me you didn't ask and if he had asked what that meant to me is that if it wasn't for that i wouldn't work as hard as i do because the story of the character the protagonist in that show is that he will constantly fight against people that are stronger than him to become stronger. Mm. He will always put himself into situations that create even more stress for him because he wants to be a better person within that world of martial arts. But you think it's the devil. Again, asking, having conversations. That, that, that was the biggest problem that I always had with my elders. Mm. Was that there was this sense of, uh, I've got the answers, you don't. And there's nothing that you can say to convince me otherwise. But there's nothing to talk about then. Once you already set those rules and parameters, then again. Yeah. I've noticed something that... Uh... That way of approaching it with uh, family and generations. Um, I mean, one example would be Shah's family. One would be my family. Like with me, my grandparents, like my grandfather has a cattle ranch. That's like, that's his thing. And he's very much a product of that and that generation. And like black people was still colored. And like, that's just how he talked. And how, there's no black people around. Right. <laughs> and... I, there's so many beautiful things I got out of him, but, um, for example, my uncle, his own son is gay and he's tried so many times to talk to him and you've never, it's not that they have a problem with it. They just, you've never seen somebody change a conversation so quickly because they just don't want to face it. Yeah. Just diverting. And so now as I've gotten older, I found that when I was younger, I had a really great relationship with him. And now I don't really know him that well. And he definitely doesn't know anything about me because yeah. that there's a certain depth that never got established. Yeah. And uh, similarly, I've noticed with Shrav, like between generations, there's a, a certain lack of connection because I, it's a different traditional levels of traditionalness and things like that. I, I don't know. There's, there's so many complicated things with it, but yeah. Um, for sure, the youngest generation and the oldest generation are on two very different wavelengths, and they just have to live in almost false reality with each other. Yeah. Which is terribly sad to me. It's extremely sad, just because lately I've been having more conversations with my family, trying to understand what their point of view of life is, you know, similar to the way that you're doing with the podcast and everything. And the reason I've been doing that is because I do want to get those nuggets of experience that they don't realize they have, but have completely tarnished by just trying to impose the ideas that they're interested in now. It's like, the fact of the matter is, is that my uncles, they do have a lot of information that I could be able to pull from them, but yet all they want to talk about is Trump. And I'm not as interested in that part. You know, mm -hmm. but I do want to learn your journey 
not necessarily the journey that you think I should take for my future, because the reality is, is that they still feel like their rules will still apply in this world. They don't realize how much of a technology shift existed. Mm-hmm. They still don't. They don't realize that between uh, the 90s and 2000, that we, how, how did computing change? How did the internet change? Like, how much information was I able to, at the point of a click, I could get? And they believe that based on their experience alone, and not doing the same kind of potential research that they will know as much. There's a certain point that for whatever reason, older generations don't want to pass the baton onto newer generations with the idea and the hope that they might actually be able to take care of themselves, if not be, be able to further the species. Yeah. I, I, I wish I could somehow express this in a way that connects with more people. I feel like... We have two main goals as a, a generation. The next generation's uh, environment should be at least the way it was given to us, yes. if not better. Yes. Hopefully it's to a point where there is no better. It's just there, but we've already failed at that one. Yeah. And uh, they themselves should be at least one notch better off than we are. Yes. I'm, I'm very concerned for that one. Yep. So I, I don't really want to be a failed generation because <laughs> right, that, that's right. the only qualification we have. But that's the way it works too, right? Like there's such this culture of blame that like now they, they, they don't realize that their actions are actually creating more of a struggle for us to be able to fix things. Mm. Yet they will blame us for everything that happens from this point forward. And I don't know how to fix that. I don't know how to reconcile that other than we need to have more patience with even the older generations. We have to have more patience with each other. And going back to the point that I've, I've made a bunch of times in conversations, everything is a muscle. I think the biggest problem with capitalism is the muscle that we flex with capitalism is greed. Greed and self-serving nature. It separates us. It All it does is make it so that all you need to do is make enough money for happiness. And it takes out everything else in that definition. But yet, at the same time, they start imposing ideas of family and morality and values and all of these other aspects of things. Yet, the muscle that we've been strengthening is I need to care about how much I make. Hmm. So, everything has that same flexibility. Patience. Empathy. All of those are muscles, and you don't realize that you will lose them, atrophied like you're coming out of the matrix, if you never use them. I can't spend... <laughs> I can't feel my legs. You've never used them before. <laughs> you will not be able to empathize with others if you've never empathized with somebody. Mm. You will not be patient with somebody if you've never been forced to be patient with somebody. 
You will never communicate well with somebody if you've never communicated well with somebody. And that needs to be a mutual agreement of good communication. Oh, I had a great conversation with him. Dude, that guy was a jerk. (laughs) That was a one-sided thing. Everybody needs to walk away happy with the situation. Yeah. You just uh, triggered this. I was driving by a a little nursery, a plant nursery that's just outside my house. Hmm. And um, they have a little board and they put little sayings and stuff on there. And the one that I just saw was, if a plant is sad, do the other plants photosympathize? <laughs> <laughs> it made me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's what's wonderful about that is that all it does or in addition to everything we've talked about it highlights that we're all very similar we all connect when we're laughing Mm. we all connect during joyous times you know when you think about all those nostalgic things yeah I, i was laughing when i saw the statistic There was a statistic that Netflix put out saying that they were concerned about some of their users because of how much they rewatched The Office. (laughs) And I was I was laughing at that statistic because I've rewatched The Office a lot. You ask me a question about The Office, I probably know the answer about it. Like it's weird. Hardcore parkour. Hardcore parkour. Yes. (laughs) I was. I was watching on Peacock, and if you pause it during Peacock, one of the Office episodes, it has like trivia questions, and I was like, "Oh, this is exciting," because I know this answer. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, the reason I bring it up is that like we're so content with just force feeding the things that we're totally good at. We just want to be happy. We just want to find joy. And I could bring up that show to most people and everybody finds connection with that. But we don't do enough trying to find ways that we can connect. Hmm. We only, again, try to impose our view of the world onto others. And in healthy communication, that can be done to hilarious results, you know, sharing a joke, sharing a show that you both enjoy, and it it resonates. It means that you want to have more conversations, and then you might be able to have the difficult ones, mm. but you also need to flex that muscle too. It needs to be okay to hurt. That was one of the biggest lessons that I learned at the gym. It's like you're in pain when you go to the gym. Because you're growing. But you're growing. Pain can be good. Pain is necessary. Hmm. Um, can we pause for? I gotta go to the restroom real bad. Yeah, yeah. We'll be right back. Yeah. Go ahead, Mel. Okay. Uh, welcome back. We had to take a quick bathroom break, and we're back. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> My bladder. Thanks you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave this open too. <laughs> um. So. One thing I would really like to know is um, if you had kind of a, what to say, I guess like a, a message or, or something that you, you really feel like 
if I could just pass this one thing on, because we're talking about the next generation. Yeah. What do you think that would be? Um, I think, I think playing off of, um, one of the things that I think I needed to realize is that so much of what I had done throughout my entire life was just make it so that things were comfortable. And that'll keep you happy, but it doesn't necessarily address issues. Mm. And I think too much of the issues that we have is that there's people that are comfortable telling those that are uncomfortable how they can be comfortable. And if we're using the same mechanisms of, you know, status, <laughs> you know, like this idea that you have to look a particular way or live a particular way or, you know, like I've recently taken on a job that I'm totally overqualified for. But who's the person that made that indication of overqualification? Why is it that I should feel bad taking a position if I'm okay with partaking in their service? Mm. Why is it that I'm okay with the way things are and taking advantage of it from that perspective and demoralizing them in the process in other conversations or in other actions. It's not, people don't realize they do it every day. And if they just took a step back and recognized that that's somebody's daughter, that's somebody's son, that's somebody's wife, that's somebody's husband. You know, like there are all of these other clusters that you can use in order to treat people as you would like to be treated if you were in that circumstance. And that, again, is a very difficult thing to impose onto people, is this idea and notion that their reality might be different than yours that's a that's the thing that i wish people would just get one of the reasons why i become became very cynical about religion and again this is softened you know i i don't i don't despise religion i don't despise people who are christian you know muslim or anything right i i don't care about that i only care that lessons get taught fairly. And I asked my, my aunt, one of my forward-thinking aunts, one, one that would have conversations with this subject, about this subject with me as a kid. And I asked her, I was like, does a person from a different country who has never learned about Christianity get to go to heaven? Hmm. To me, that was a reality question, right? It's like, if I'm just born in a circumstance 
where I could have never learned this, then why am I doomed to burn in hell? <laughs> that makes no sense to me. And she came up with, you know, the typical stuff. It's like, well, there's going to be an instance in that person's life where they would have come across a Christian or something, and they could have made that choice at that point. I was like, but you're, you're saying it's random and they needed to be in the right frame of mind to listen to this particular person, maybe even know the language. Yeah, that could be a big problem. <laughs> that could be a big problem, right? You know, like, again, it, it imposes this idea that you're right, they're wrong. It imposes all of these assumptions so I couldn't square that. And that's what caused this cascade of cynicism with regards to how people see the world. If I only see these walls, then what violence was there? Maybe the Capitol riots didn't happen. Maybe Trump did win the election. Maybe, maybe nobody's sick. And I'm sitting here in my house with, with a mask. mask on like an idiot. <laughs> you know, like, I don't want to get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I'm, people need to be okay with being wrong. Hmm. It's fine. You're, you're not a perfect person. Clearly, you're not Jesus Christ. And that's okay, too. You know? But the moment that everybody acts as if they could do no wrong, they could see no wrong, they could hear no wrong, that, and, and further than that, I'm going to ensure that there are no differences of opinion by staying where I am, Hanging out only with the people that agree with me. Having only those friends on Facebook. Having only those friends on Facebook. Only watching the shows that please me. Rewatching The Office over and over again. I'm very content. <laughs> <laughs> but what does that do? It makes it so that you're that person. You're incapable of becoming anybody else that's a very that's the thing that i wish i really wish people would understand is that the difference between who you are now and who you could become could be as simple as changing the channel hmm. i can dig it <laughs> um we talked about something painful that happened. Now, what about one of the moments of like true joy or happiness that you've had? If you could share like just what that was, paint a picture or tell the story. Yeah. You got some good stories. <laughs> um, I gotta say like, Reconnecting with my sister yeah. was a huge 
burden that was lifted. And the reason it was a burden is because, like, you know, as much as I say that it's bad to watch The Office over and over again, like, my sister was a version of The Office in my life. When you've grown up with a person and you have positive memories with them, and then all of a sudden that goes away. To be able to rekindle that and make it like it never was, like it, like nothing bad ever happened again, is such a blessing. And And you wouldn't be able to do that if you didn't have humility and just accepting that maybe everybody was wrong. Maybe everybody was right. It doesn't matter. What matters is the connections that you have. And if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have started talking to my dad. And I'm not getting like a lot of information from him. <laughs> like he said it himself, like, you know, they they gave him drugs while he went to, I guess, Vietnam or whatever. And he's never been the same since type of thing. And that's probably one of the reasons why he went down the path that he did with drugs and alcohol and stuff like that. So mm. like, again, like people will look for the longest time. I thought that he was a scumbag based on what my mom told me and based on my one experience with him. Mm. And then my sister, after we had, you know, rekindled our relationship, she said, you know, Alex, for a person that loves stories about villains, because you like seeing how their perspective means that they're the hero. Why won't you talk to dad? Hmm. And it was like a weird connection that I could have never made for myself because, again, I had labeled him a villain, yet I do love stories about villains. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I love stories about villains is because I I don't remember who said it. I think it was um uh Two-Face in Dark Knight. <laughs> <laughs> he goes uh everybody's the hero of the story. But you wait long enough and they become the villain. I I think I paraphrased that. <laughs> Something like that. But the point is you wait long enough and everybody becomes a villain potentially. Mm. And the only reason that happens is because they're stuck in their perspective and they think they're right and everyone else is wrong. Mm. And stories about villains, I there's so many great ones. The Joker is a great one. You know, the, um, uh, the one that I think about all the time was, uh, Everybody hated Halo 2. <laughs> I mean, there were people that didn't like Halo 2 because it started to focus on the enemy faction. Oh, all the aliens. Yeah, yeah, on the aliens. And I love that story because there's reasons why they would do the things that they do based on the doctrine that they believe. Hmm. Once you start pulling that peeling that away you realize that every everybody in this world is just an organism trying to get through the day feed themselves feed their families 
you know, trying to survive. Mm. And yet we have to impose these additional rules. Make it more complicated. Yeah. I feel like a lot of times the problem is that people are just oversimplifying. Yes. And I, I it's one thing I, I get troubled by with movies when they always try and make a clear good guy, bad guy thing. It's yeah. like, no. That's it's something, great. It's something I really liked about Black Panther is that that the guy I played by Michael B. Jordan was... Yes, yeah. Killmonger. Yep. It's a great character. Great character. And if you had just changed the editing a tiny bit, he would have been the main character of the yep. story. 100%. 100%. I love stories like that. Mm-hmm. I love stories like that because villains have always been the most interesting part of those kinds of hero narratives. Mm-hmm. Because people can understand. You know, the the, the new Joker movie... That whole movie is about how a system ignored certain people to the extreme that they felt no choice but to start getting people to pay attention to them. Oh, well, that sounds like things happening all over the place. (laughs) It's a very simple concept. Some people are freaked out about that movie because... What they think is that it glorifies violence and it glorifies, you know, people taking into their hands, you know, the the mm. atrocities and then turning it on to innocent individuals. And, and yes, it is that too. But if you miss the part that we created the villain, that it's a very easy thing to continue to do. If we don't address the underlying issues. I mean, he was trying to get medication. Yeah, I'll be honest. I didn't see it yet. There was one part of the movie. Doesn't change anything. He was trying to get medication and they cut the funding on the medication. So no medication. So no medication and a crazy person becomes crazier. Sounds about right. That's not a choice that anybody makes. That's not agency. That's not... That's not malice. It's... The reason why we need to think socially and about others... Often these days... Is because we're creating more villains. Mm. You can't invade a country... And expect their sons and daughters to be happy you killed their father. Yeah. How can you expect that? There has to be a line drawn. Somebody has to say, the violence stops. The hunger stops. The health is provided. The education is provided. Somebody has to say these things. And our hopes are that the parents who have six children and who have to work six jobs in order to maintain those children are going to somehow magically get all of the information that you got through your privileged life to be able to solve their problems. Yeah, it's possible. There are examples of it, sure. But does it cover those gray areas? Mm. It's just... 
we will not be looked at negatively if we create blankets that protect people. I don't see how that's possible. Well, I don't really care. <laughs> but under the auspice of those blankets mean that you have to pay more. Greed. Possession. Mm-hmm. I, so when we talk about greed, I'm not saying it's not there. Sure. But uh, one thing I found is that a lot of the problem ends up like when I look at, there's so many billionaires and millionaires and people like this. Not always, but there are many instances where what I see are people that have just raised up the level of survival process. So they're fundamentally hoarders. They're just trying to get more and more because it's never enough because they have this survival thing, just like so many other people. And it's really, a muscle. Yeah. So getting people out of survival mode is just everything. You don't need a lot because I've lived in Southeast Asia. Like you can live very comfortably with not a lot yeah. and have good food and good people and just everyone's at their ease. Like yeah. the island life, you know. Yeah. If there's, I think there's two types of villains. I think there's the villain that gets created based on circumstances that are completely out of their control, and then there's the villain that does have agency. Like just to watch the world burn? Well, not necessarily. It's to create an advantage. And I think that's more of the villains that we see these days. It's I, I feel more there's this idea and notion, and it's generational too. It's like the more time passes, the more I feel I'm less um, capable of dealing with the problems of tomorrow. So I'm going to change the game so that I have less competition. Oh, well, that's just basic life process. Yeah. That's why trees drop leaves. Yes. So sightings can't come up. Yeah. So I, I think more of those kinds of villains are starting to pop up specifically in our kind of society, right? But that was always there, right? Sure. Absolutely. And it always is going to continue to be. But the reality is, is that everybody has a lot more power to temper those kinds of notions and ideas and behaviors than they realize. But they're being made to care less about it through distractions. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I don't think we could have survived the pandemic the way that it happened if it wasn't for our distractions. I think one of the things that... You've got like internet and phones and everything. Absolutely. Netflix. Absolutely. One of the things that shocked me about 2020 was how little violence there was. Mm. How many people lost their jobs? Couldn't feed their families? And couldn't live off of one stimulus check? (laughs) Let's be real. Yeah, no, a lot. It's, a lot. It's and it's depressing. probably way more than we're giving credit to. So they did what? They either stole, lied, cheated, got debt. You know, like what? What were the options? 
or they're living in a place that's probably not safe. Either way, they're it's creating a situation where either A, they're contemplating doing something terrible to another in order to survive, or doing something terrible to themselves in order to survive. Mm-hmm. It just puts people into situations that, frankly, nobody should have to make those kinds of choices. They shouldn't have to. Not in what we purport is one of the greatest places to live, right? And I do think it's one of the greatest places. (laughs) I always laugh at anybody who uh, looks at my criticisms and says, oh, just move to another place. Like, what? (laughs) There's a reason why I'm criticizing this place. It's because I want it to be better. Not because I want to leave it entirely. And what person just comes to that conclusion? You know, that they're just going to leave a place that they've become familiar with. Do you know how hard it was for me to leave the worst place in the world, Florida? (laughs) (laughs) It was so hard. It was so hard. Here you are. And here I am. (laughs) But it was like... It's mental jujitsu, unless you've done some kind of a leave home, come back type of thing. You know, like it's it's very difficult to leave home the first time because yeah. there's there's fear out there, and we don't need to create more of it. Yeah, you know that's that's something I I'm realizing now. Like from the time I was three, my parents divorced, and I was flying back and forth between states so uh-huh. there was always that idea of there's something else out there yeah i actually don't have that feeling of it's hard to leave because i never felt grounded anywhere yeah it was one of the things that i wish everybody was forced to do is to move or to visit somewhere else that is completely different than what they've experienced mm. because that's the only way Uh, Morpheus said it perfectly in the matrix he's presenting the two pills (laughs) red pill blue pill red pill blue pill you have to make the choice right and then when Neo is on the other side he explains to him I couldn't tell you what this was you needed to see it there's no way for you to even contemplate the reality of this until you're looking at it straight, square in the face. And the reason is that there are mental breaks that exist mm. to your reality that allows you to see things as alternatives. The question is, are there mechanisms in place to force people to be more comfortable where they are rather than be adventurous and see alternatives. Oh, well, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, and if that's the case, then there are so many more opportunities for people to be able to just take a glimpse at other places. One, (laughs) One of the things that I really hope never happens is an overly regulated internet. If that happens, that's really our only conduit to information that is not controlled by somebody else. 
outside of, you know, going to the library and reading a book. Again, like it's the most attractive version these days. And mm. it's something that everybody's already used to doing. Right. So the question is, can we make that so that it's not used to manipulate us as well? That's a good question. It's hard with these things because the reality is like, if you create something, but you don't have people that are capable of using it properly, it's like giving a chainsaw to a 10 year old. It's like, yeah, they might end up getting injured. Yeah. Unless you've really taken the time to give them the discipline to handle that properly. Right. So the question is then, all right, now instead of trying to regulate everything, how do we build up humans that can just handle it properly? Like I would love to live in a world where the idea of having a law that says you can't murder people is not needed. Right. I would love for that to be the case. Yeah. It's not right now, but yeah. that would be nice. Yeah. It's... The standard should be that you just don't murder people. <laughs> like that's, we can all agree, right? Yeah. Don't we need to write this down. Yeah. Really? <laughs> There's, yeah, you're, again, the only reason that those laws exist is because they want people to break them, in my opinion. In my opinion, it's one of those things where like, Oh, I don't know. I think like in the Wild West, there was no law. And then people just got just shot. Got shot. <laughs> Even like people in the Congress were like, I disagree. Well, let's yeah. duel. Yeah. What? What do you mean? <laughs> Fine. We'll write this down. <laughs> it's like, we'll, we'll say the obvious, guys. <laughs> Here's my quill. Yeah. Yeah. But like, wouldn't it be simple enough to say like, you're just not going to harm anybody else? Because like killing somebody falls into that category too, right? It's a question of... It, the, the reality is that there's murders everywhere. People mm -hmm. get killed all the time, right? There's seven billion people. It's going to happen. Yeah, it's going to happen. But some places even treat the murderers like human beings. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be punishment. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that if what you want is individuals who see a system worth becoming a part of again you need to show that kind of empathy onto those that do the worst to us as well mm. and i it's think like dragon ball z yes <laughs> <laughs> but it you go even further to that uh than that to like the wars that we've had it's like it's been proven through history that those wars, the most recent ones, were very greed-fueled. They weren't wars that had any semblance of connection to actual direct causes of pain to us. Yet we went over and upended societies. Mm -hmm. That, to me shows an inability to have the toys that you want. <laughs> you know, like, if you were to take any child and they decided to start hurting a dog that you gave them, you're not getting a dog. You got to go to the doctor. We got to get this sorted out, you know? Like, but they can create those kinds of atrocities and we still give them power yeah it's it's you know 
there's a study that I learned about a while back, and if I remember right, they they had some rats and they would give them like sugar water, and every time you know this. So just for if you're listening, whenever the rat would go for the sugar water, they'd get a tiny little electric shock. Nothing like crazy, but enough that it eventually just became scared of that water. Yeah. It wouldn't go for sugar water. Yeah. Even when they took away the electricity, still it was afraid of the water. And that fear of that lasted through multiple generations yep. until they finally were curious enough to go back into it and realize, oh, it doesn't shock me. Yeah. That's nutty. And I'm not saying people are like rats. I have no idea. But... I definitely feel like if you just observe history, you can notice things go through generations that take generations to undo trauma. And like, um, yeah. So when I look at what's happened in like the Middle East, you've just ruined people's experience for generations. For what? There better be a damn good reason, but yeah. I don't think there is. What's even scarier to me, you know, expanding on that idea, is that 9-11 was horrendous. And just 3,000 people died? Yeah, that's happening every single day right now. The... I never want to hear an argument that violent video games create violence because the desensitization of death within this country that exists now, because we were able to, at the blink of an eye, lose 400,000 plus Americans. The scary thing, or the thing that freaks me out, potentially, <laughs> is that they did it because it needs to justify future deaths. That's what freaks me out, is this idea and notion that, yeah, 400,000 people died. Well, let's go, you know, commit more wars and, you know, commit to more, more deaths, you know, overseas. And we're not going to think twice about the amount of death because we've already done that. We've already mm -hmm. been there. And like, everybody's going to come across a person that has died because of this pandemic. Everyone mm -hmm. by, you know, whether it's, you know, somebody that's directly related to you or somebody's, friend or whatever the case there's going to be somebody that you know yeah that's going to have reverberating effects on the way that we look at death on the way that we look at the acceptance of death in others well i i hope we use that for our growth like we're talking and accept that we are mortal and you will die. Yeah. This yeah. is kind of a miracle we've had this period of antibiotics and stuff. Yeah. Because polio was real. Smallpox. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like sometimes I think it's uh, as much as I think a lot of what's happened over the past four to five years has been a curse. I think it's also somewhat of a blessing in the sense that people are, have been so pushed in particular directions that they don't actually know what's going on and they needed very real visible um, examples of consequences 
because I really do think that there are certain parties that believe that their actions were totally justified based on the ends that they're hoping to reach. And they don't realize the collateral damage that's going to come with it. And that's why some of the conversation that exists right now is seems like it's very disconnected with reality because they need it to be so in order to continue to justify doing things like this. And again, we can get to a place where there's healing only when we're totally capable and totally willing to have a dialogue and walk away with something from the other. And I think that's the thing that people miss is that you need to take something from the other person. That's the only way that true communication works, in my opinion. Mm. Um, I, uh, I was listening to somebody uh, talking about... Uh, I think she was talking about having sex. <laughs> I think that's what she was talking about. And she was talking about how, like, if you don't love a person even when you don't actually love them during sex, then it's going to be crap. It's going to be garbage. Mm. It, it might feel okay, but like, again, like none of that stuff really connects with a person unless there's that aspect of love and compassion and like a mutual understanding that we're going to both walk away with something that we both enjoyed. Mm. Right. And I think communication is very similar in that respect is that I will never vote for a person that I don't feel cares about humans. That's a, that's a pretty low bar in the general sense. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there's enough evidence in the previous administration that some people have a less regard for human life than others and that and again you're right that's a very low bar <laughs> i would hope we can have something a little bit higher but maybe not yeah but that's the thing it's like that's where we're at right now we're we're at the extremes of completely dismissing death tolls it's a hoax <laughs> none of it's real didn't you hear no i did hear that's what this uh, podcast is about. <laughs> Joe Rogan's up next, guys. <laughs> yeah, and the funny thing is, is that um, there was a joke that was made about this where, like, what are we going to talk about if there isn't, like, terrible news all the time about the politics that's going on, right? Anything. Anything. Please. Please, God. Anything else. I literally, I look forward to looking at press uh, conferences now with like the press secretary and everything. I love it because it's an adult. It's like just a person not, hopefully not lying. Hopefully not lying. But at the same time, it seems like at the very least they've done their research on some of the subjects that they're talking about. And when they don't, they say, I don't know. I'll get back to you. And usually they do. 
I, it's just so nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice warm blanket to know that when you hear somebody, you know, they, they, they speak your language. And, and that's why I understand why things occurred the way that they did was because some people don't have that connection to language, don't have that connection to words and don't already believe that everything is rigged. And this is all stuff that's been programmed into their minds, right? When you already have a mistrust for the information that you're getting, how can that be healthy communication? If I immediately did not trust you guys, I wouldn't have invited you over. Right. I hope not. Right? And if I didn't trust you during the conversation, I definitely would have gotten more heated. Or just not shared. Or not shared. Not have been as honest as I've been about my family, my my life. Hmm. Nobody needs to expose themselves in the way that I have, or any of your guests would potentially. They don't have to. No. But they're sacrificing themselves on the altar of humility for the purpose of others understanding that it's not going to kill you. To be wrong. It's not going to kill you. To be right. None of those things matter if everybody's on the same page about where we eventually end up. I want you to do well. I want Sravmat, uh, Sravmeet, oh my god, I Shrav can't say your name. <laughs> to do well. I want anybody that listens to do well. And if everybody truly believes that, then they might want to have another conversation. But when you start seeing walls and you start hearing fear and you start seeing violence and you start seeing all of these artifacts of our past that basically led to terrible things, why are we now dismissing those things as potential needs to shift our reality slightly? <laughs> what to do <laughs> <laughs> you know like and it's it's simple stuff you know i i think a part of the reason why it resonates with me so much is that i realized the kind of person that i am when it comes to making lifestyle changes for myself right when you're losing weight you have to control your environment in order to control you why because if i've got cookies here i'm going to eat them <laughs> if I go to the ice cream place, I'm going to buy it. You know, you need to control these things. And a person has that ability within themselves to be able to control their environment so that what they're getting fed is stuff that actually grows them as a person. But that's also an important thing to, to be done is who do you want to become? And not a lot of people think about that. I'll give you a perfect example of this. While I've been during this, uh, while I've been single during this pandemic, <laughs> there were instances when I tried to have conversations with people and they were very boring conversations. And the reason that they were boring is because they were holding things back or they didn't even know who they were. Yeah. Where they wanted to be, where they wanted to go. How can you expect to find somebody else 
to include into your life. You don't want you don't know what you want your life to be. Or who you want around you. Yep. And it's the same problem that a lot of people have. Just on their day to day, they wonder, why do I hate my job? Why do I hate the people that I spend time with? I mean, these are all choices that people can make. Mm-hmm. You know? It's just a question of whether or not they know that they can make them. And again, that's a that's a matrix thing. That's a I don't know what I'm capable of until I see what I'm capable of. You can't convince a person in a cave that the color blue exists if all you've ever seen is red. It can't happen until you take the person out of the cave and show them the spectrum of color. Yes. (laughs) It's impossible. (laughs) So I'm I'm definitely hoping that more people come out of the cave. Mm. I'm hoping more people don't look, don't just look to those who they're comfortable with. Look to those who you're uncomfortable with. One of the greatest, greatest things I ever did in my life was to start approaching people that you wouldn't normally approach to have conversations with those people Mm. to find out who they are. One of the things that she calls it cringe, but the young lady I'm seeing right now, she doesn't like it when I'm so joyous and you know have such ridiculous conversations with strangers oh what's a ridiculous conversation for her i don't know because <laughs> I've, I've had conversations about whales and spongebob with someone i met on the new york metro station who then left i never got her name or anything yeah it's just a fun one of the things that i love to do is when i go through the drive-thru i love to like you know exaggerating my voice and you know like having fun with the order Mm. you know like if if i if i hear that they're enthusiastic i'll like be enthusiastic too i'm like well hello there (laughs) you know and that that makes her cringe you know she's like i was like oh really yeah that's fun though you know like i think that's because you worked in a drive-thru that's true (laughs) because I used to, I used to pretend to have an Australian accent. And, <laughs> and I'd be Scottish sometimes. It was terrible, both of those. But I did it, and people, I got more tips. Yes. And so it's fun. But yeah. all the other people that had to listen to the headphone that were making the coffee orders yeah. were like, Heath, you're not from those countries. Stop it. Yes. It, it was. It was interesting because like so many people like to do the window because like it's it's pretty. It's not a lot of work, right? For me, but, it was associated with washing dishes. Like, interesting. Was I was like, interesting. Oh, why am I always this? But it's because I was sloping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, to me, they they would put me on the window and make me do nothing else. And the reason that they would do that is because I was really good with the customers. You know, like everybody was happy, lots of tips. And then, but the the... The interesting part is that, especially the people that were close by and were going through the weeds of the situation, they hated me because I was having such a good time during their crappy time. (laughs) You know? So it wasn't my fault. It wasn't their fault. It was just there wasn't equity 
necessarily between what they wanted versus what they got. And I can't do anything about that. But a person can decide whether or not what they do they enjoy. And I think people don't realize that they have that kind of power. Even within the, 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 uh, the job market. You can go find another job. But everybody becomes comfortable. Mm. And I think that becomes exploited. Yeah. We certainly have a very comfortable existence as this generation. Yeah. Mm. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the future. So in the next five years, what do you think is going to happen? Um, as a society, my what I'm putting out into the world is that we are currently having a bunch more people waking up to a reality than they, that they necessarily weren't expecting. And they're, they're doing that because they're exhausted as much as everybody else of just not having that communication. You know, like, I, I think it's something that people yearn for, but they don't realize that it's something that they needed to build. And my hope is, and the, the direction I think it's going to go, is that more people are going to be willing to have that conversation, willing to be a little bit more humble with their positions and, you know, start looking things, looking at things a little bit more simply with regards to how you should be criticizing things mm -hmm. because again most of the issues that i think we have right now is that they're overcomplicating to justify their positions mm. and that is folly like that that's just a waste of mind energy that's just a waste of you think about it right as many people as were uh, as many people during 2020 that were actually trying to build themselves in a new economy there were just as many people that were struggling trying to figure out how to survive the old one <laughs> it's like oh like how am i supposed to deal with the pandemic and go to work and deal with my kids and all of this stuff it's like man, there's a lot of remote jobs available now. Like, why don't you spend some time, take some time off and learn a new trade or something like in the short term? You know, there was a bunch of jobs all of a sudden available that you wouldn't have been able to get if it wasn't for this specific circumstance. And I'm not saying that everybody, that was an option for everybody. I'm just saying that many people didn't even see the options because they were so caught up in the political situation hmm. in their beliefs or in their, you know, convictions. You, the whole reason that some, that a basic blanket of reality needs to be presented to everyone in the world, the whole reason is that the world is complicated enough to also wonder who's lying and who's not. Mm. That's too much. Because you multiply that by the 7 billion people that we have and now all of a sudden you mistrust everyone 
and mm. you can communicate with no one. Not even Google Translate can save you. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, in the movie Arrival. Oh man, I love that movie. <laughs> There's another movie that I didn't even mention, and I love that movie too, but I should have mentioned that one. Uh, what is it? Oh, oh About Time. About Time. Is that the one with uh, Justin Timberlake? No. Oh, but that's a great movie too. That's In, in Time. In t- oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's a nuance. <laughs> um, I'll tell you about About Time in a second, but. Uh, Arrival, she brings up this really good point. Uh, the the general that's in charge of their unit is upset with her because of the way that she's trying to communicate with these aliens. Mm. She's teaching them very basic verbs, very basic nouns. You know, she needs to establish what communication is to humans, and she needs to teach them from the ground up. And he thinks that that takes too long. And she asks him, she's like, do you know what happened when these Spanish sailors uh, came across an Aboriginal tribe and they asked what those creatures were and they saw kangaroos and the Aborigines said kangaroos. Do you know what the Aborigines meant by that term? And he was like, no. And she goes, to them it meant I don't know. (laughs) How can you communicate if you don't speak the same language? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Right? So it's, it's, again, a great example that we tend to go into walks of life without establishing the rules. Yeah. With another person. And you do that by asking questions. It's less about saying. It's more about asking. Mm. Sounds like acting. Oh, for sure. (laughs) And acting is all about like, it's not about saying your lines. It's about listening and responding. Yeah. Yeah, because when when you're responding to something, it's much more honest, right? Mm -hmm. It's, It's coming from you. You know, if we're all DVRs, then you're building off of something that you've already recorded. So it would make more sense to use information that you've already played. You've already, you've already seen. Mm -hmm. And that's why you need to use what's what what, the strengths. But yeah, I'm also hoping, and I'll, I'll segue into the, uh, the question that you asked, which was, what do I hope for the future? I hope more people see the beauty in the day rather than the despair. In the day rather than the despair. The example I'll give is the movie about time. The whole thesis of the movie. (laughs) Great movie. I love these movie references. Oh, it's the way that I look at the world. And the reason that it's the way that I look at the world is because that's what my addiction is. You know, like I like to see other people's perspectives and I think movies and video games and music and books, all of those things are just such curated forms of expression from the person that writes them and presents them that it gives you so much more information about where the world could potentially be going. 
And that's why like so many movies have so many meanings behind some of the subject matter, right? But about time. Very simple concept. Uh, uh, an older gentleman tells his son that he can go back uh, in time if he goes into a dark place, clenches his uh, fists, and goes back in time, right? So he asks him at one point in the movie, uh, would you like to know the secret to a happy life? Mm. He's like, of course I do. And he's like, okay, here's what you do. You go back in time. Oh, I'm sorry. You live a day. And don't manipulate time at all. Just live it how it normally is. And you pay attention to everything. Following day, you go back to that same exact day and relive it. And try to see the beauty in that day. Eventually, you won't have to go back in time to do that. Because you've... Because what? Because you're just deciding, what if I just look at the beauty in the day every day? Oh, you don't I have see to take the extra step. <laughs> 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 but if, if what you're doing is living the life that points out all of the moments of despair, then that's what you're going to live. Oh. Rather than focusing on all the beauty. It, it was a beautiful part of the movie because what it does is they show you the day and it's very negative. All of the shots that they're taking, all of the expressions, all of that. The second time around, he goes through the same exact day. He starts noticing smiles. He starts noticing laughter. He starts noticing beauty in the buildings. Mm. He starts noticing winds when previously he had noticed losses. Oh, I like that. It's a beautiful thesis. <laughs> and if more people did that, we'd have a very different situation. That's true. You know, that reminds me of um, in the ashram in India where we go, the Isha Foundation, they've got, I mean, there's thousands of people there like every day, or at least pre-COVID, there was maybe 20,000 people a day during the week and 40,000 a day visiting during the weekend. Uh -huh. It's crazy. Yeah. So in all the little offices that they have in there, there's a little sign on the board. And I'm, I'm trying to remember the exact quote, but it was something like, make sure you are constantly looking at what makes whoever's around you beautiful, not the things you dislike, because that way you'll nurture those things and let them grow. Yep. And uh, it's just that constant reminder all the time. It's really uh, gorgeous. And that's basically it. Like, yeah. I love it. <laughs> um, so before we close this, is there any, um, any final message you'd like to send out? Um, yeah, I, I think, um, I think my life needed to go exactly the way that it did in order for me to know and feel the way that I do now. And I think a lot of people tend to listen to others and think that they're not doing enough, but you needed to come across everything that you did in the way that you did in order to reach 
that particular time when you start second guessing. That's your opportunity to shift a reality. Mm. When you recognize that, you're Doctor Strange. <laughs> <laughs> Multiverse theory, you know? Like, you get to decide who you want to be. You get to decide who others see. And, um, you know, I, I still consider myself a fat person because I still have those negative urges. But when I meditate, when I affirm, when I make decisions, I'm choosing whether or not I want to continue to be that person. Hmm. And the hope is, is that everybody realizes that all you need to do is repeat the processes that you want to, uh, you just need to repeat the processes that you struggle with in order to reach the person that you want to become. I don't know why, but what just popped in my head was from, did you see the movie, The Master of Disguise? Yes. Become another person, become another person, become another person. <laughs> Dana Carvey is one of my favorites, man. <laughs> On that note, Alex, thank you so much. Um, these podcasts are really a treasure for me because uh, I would have never, I would have never known you before. Yeah, uh, honestly, it. I'm so glad that I met Shravina. I'm so glad I met you. Shravina? Um, was it Shravina? No. Shravani. Shravni. Shravni. Shravina. You know, I, your name. I, I it's going to be my new nickname now. Is it really? Shravina. Shravani. Yeah. Shravani. I'm going to get it wrong every <laughs> time. <laughs> you can call her Shrav. Shrav. So easy. Uh, I'm so glad that I met her. And, you know, it, it was interesting. Um, I'm so glad that the opportunity of isolation really makes me grateful for connectivity with anybody. It doesn't mm. matter. You know, whatever way, whatever part they're playing in their life, you know, I, I want to know about it. I do. Because, you know, that that's all anybody wants. They, mm -hmm. they... They want to feel important. For sure. Well, and I, I think it's something we can really try and make a part of ourselves. Like when another life decides they want to be in your life, you should treasure that. Yes. It's something beautiful. Even yeah. if it's just a smile passing somebody. Like, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, um, again, thank you so much. And uh, for you, the listener, you've made it. This is probably the longest podcast we've ever had, and I'm so happy. This is a good one. I am so sorry. No, no, no. This I, is great. I talk so much. That's perfect. It's <laughs> the whole point. It'd be boring otherwise. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Um, all right, guys. Well, we will catch you in the next one. And cheerio. Or whatever. <laughs> Bye. Bye.